where's the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. We're about to get hot. We just haven't been able to get play with the lead. We haven't had a lead, basically, you know, in the last stretch of this homestand, so hard to win with, without it. <laughs> And the 0-1 is hit out to deep right field. Ramirez is back. Gone! Just over the wall in an opposite field home run. Paul Goldschmidt. O'Neal crushes one out to deep left field. How far? Mammoth shot. Tyler O'Neal. Home run number 14. <laughs> the no, Cardinals played with the lead. Near it. They played with the it. lead, Alex Ferrario. <laughs> they didn't for the first inning. And then they got the lead. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Mike Schultz and the Cardinals shoved it right up your you-know-what, Alex Ferrario. <laughs> Stop laughing at that, Mike Schultz. Why? I was fine with it. I wanted to see the lead. I said you, yesterday, get the lead. You questioned him. No, you I... You said this team's not about to get hot. You doubted them from start to finish. This is blasphemy, sir. You were Mr. Sir. 95% that the Cardinals are done. Sir, this is, this is... This is a shot at character is what this is. You're putting words in my mouth. Oh, yeah, because that never happens the other I, way around. No, no, it never. By the way, didn't you say earlier that you hate the Cardinals? I thought that's what That never happened. Cardinals win 8-2 to two last night, 32-30 and 30 on the season. That was a big one, man. Adam Wainwright goes out there and gives you exactly what they needed out of him, and he is their stopper. You look back to where they were last year. They come out of quarantine, and it's like, I don't know how they're going to get more than two or three innings out of their starting pitching. I remember having that conversation with you, Alex. And he goes out there and throws five innings against the White Sox when they needed it the most. And then when they were on a bit of a dry spell, they had lost four in a row last year. It was against the exact same team. They go up against the Cleveland Indians. It was his birthday, and he throws the complete game against them then. And then last night, you're on your longest losing streak for the Cardinals in four years. You needed somebody to stop the bleeding. And he goes out there after a rough first inning where they they find a way to scratch across a couple of runs against Wayno. He battles back. He ends up giving you exactly what we asked for. We said, give give him about seven strong innings, seven innings of, of a quality start, and that's exactly what the Cardinals need. He gave them that. Kudos to Adam Wainwright, man. They needed that in a bad way last night. So we all can agree that the Cleveland Indians are the slump busters, right? The Cleveland Indians, so the Cardinals need to make sure that they schedule. It's a floating schedule next year for whenever they're in a bad losing streak, you call up Cleveland and say, hey, boys, we need you right now. And then you schedule the appointment. That's how this seems to go. They're the late night tender swipes. Yeah, this is the super <laughs> swipe for T-Bone. Like, hey, we need, to, we need to get out of the slump right now. The Cleveland Indians are that. Look, Adam Wainwright not only proved to me that he's what the Cardinals need, he proved last night to me and everyone that he is still the Cardinals ace. There's no other, 
there's no other option. Jack Flaherty's not the ace yet because Jack Flaherty can't do what Adam Wainwright just did. See, I think he can, and I think he has this but we, year, but have we seen that, though? Yeah, like, I mean, Jack Flaherty has like a, a two ERA this season. He I, I, I understand that, but Jack Flaherty has not been in the situation, and look, I can't fault the guy because he's injured right now, but he hasn't been in the situation where the team's been in a bad slump and they need something right. from their pitcher. Bueno's certainly more proven in that regard. And he gives them what they need. Like, you give the team exactly what they need. And look, that first inning was not pretty. Like, I thought there was going to be a long night for Adam Wainwright. And when they scored those four runs, for me, it all comes back to offense. Your pitching is going to perform for how good your offense is in front of them. To go out there and score four runs, to have that that long at-bat for Yadier Molina to walk the first run in, and then Matt Carpenter come up and hit that, that double, that turns, or the triple, that turns into two more runs, that was what... Adam Wainwright needed that's what the pitching staff needed because I felt like as soon as those four runs scored it was a breath of fresh air and Waino goes out there and just doesn't allow a hit the rest of the game I thought that the walk by Yadier Molina was the biggest play of the game I agree I know that there were the couple home runs by Tyler O'Neill we're gonna get to him by the way we got to talk about him a lot today um I know that the home run by Paul Goldschmidt was big the double as you mentioned by um Matt Carpenter was huge with the bases loaded he comes through once again it was the walk that's where everything started. Danny Mac said it earlier today, both with Randy and then on the Danny Mac show. You felt like a a collective sigh of relief in the in the entire stadium, and I feel like you could almost feel it on the broadcast where the team, the pressure that was on their back, finally released. And so Matt Carpenter walks to the plate. He has the utmost confidence. Whenever the bases are loaded, he comes through in a big way, and they. That, that's the type of veteran leadership they needed. It started with Yachty, it continued with Carp, and then it progressed with Adam Wainwright. Those three guys were massive for the Cardinals last night. Matt Carpenter yesterday after the game was asked about his confidence whenever the bases are loaded, and Alex, this guy just continues to get a dot in those spots. I'd be lying to you if I haven't heard in the last couple of years what my numbers are in that situation, so I would say that that does add a little bit, you know, knowing that you've, you've, you have been so successful in those moments but prior to the last couple of seasons it was something I never really thought about you know I just went up there and tried to take the same at bat it's, it's worked out well he is now 30 for 61 with 91 RBI and an OPS over 1200 with the bases loaded in his career he is quite literally the greatest bases loaded hitter in the history of major league baseball not bad not bad <laughs> I could retire on that title alone if I'm Matt Carpenter yeah. because that is just impressive because that's the biggest situation that you can ask for, right? With the bases loaded. And we talked yesterday about how right now this team is not good with the pressure on in runners in scoring position. And Matt Carpenter is the one that comes through with that to get three RBIs. So that to me is huge because it strengthens your bench. Can we talk about how Matt Carpenter has come up big for the Cardinals over the last few weeks, by the way? I think we should. Because Matt Carpenter de deserved and got a lot of crap early in this season from Cardinals fans. I would never do that. Yeah, certainly Alex Ferrario would never do that. He is Mr. St. Louis, as and, we've learned today. And Mr. Home Run. In his last 17 games, he's 11 for 33 with six doubles and six RBI. That's huge. That is the type of bench bat, especially from the left side, that the Cardinals had been missing. He's had a 965 OPS in the last... This is dating back to May 21st. This is about three weeks now. It's no longer a small sample size that we're seeing from Matt Carpenter. 
he looks like a different player. He looks like a more confident player at the plate right now. And some of this is what we were talking about early in the season. If he continued to have the same type of process where he's hitting the ball hard, he's taking his walks, eventually it would drop and it would start looking better production wise. And Alex, that's exactly what we've seen. He is starting to produce in a level that the Cardinals needed out of him because they don't really have a ton of other bench bats that are good options for them. And that's where I'm at. And that's great. Like, I'm glad Matt Carpenter's doing this, but let's not accelerate his role to an everyday no. player. And I'm, I know you're not saying that. I'm just saying that in general. I'm saying that hopefully for Mike Schilt because we know he listens to the show. Matt Carpenter is a perfect bench bat for you at this stage of his career. If he's hitting bombs, if he's hitting doubles, if he's picking up RBIs, if he's two for six in a game, that doesn't sound that great. But still, he's my bench bat. No more. And I know he's feeling in right now because you're you're plagued with injuries. And hopefully these guys will be back soon. When Paul DeYoung comes back, I think that writes the ship a little bit. Matt Carpenter needs to be your bench bat because you have no other options right now. You have to have that person off of the bench who in any situation can come up with a walk with a hit with a home run and right now at the beginning of the season I never would have said that for Matt Carpenter right now I will say that for Matt Carpenter because he's got the confidence back at the plate but it doesn't need to be anything more than one at bat in a game yeah I think he can get some opportunities here and there whenever Paul DeYoung returns because what you're probably going to see is DeYoung at short you're going to see I would imagine Edmundo Sosa at second Tommy Edmond in right field the majority of the time if he gets a start here and there for Mendo Sosa at second, that's fine. Especially going up against a right-handed pitcher, I got no issues with that. And then you take him out late in the game for a defensive replacement. That's perfectly fine. He's not an everyday starter. Yeah. That, that part of his career is over, and that's fine. He's an overqualified bench player, and to be a contender, you need guys like that. The Dodgers have Albert Pujols. He's an overqualified bench bat is what they're using him as. And that's what Matt Carpenter needs to be for the Cardinals, just on the left side as opposed to the right side. One more thing on Adam Wainwright before we start talking about Tyler O'Neill here in just a minute. Waino yesterday retired 20 of 21 guys basically after the first inning. He was dominant after he allowed two runs. And Alex, I don't know how many times we've talked about this. It might be a million. But the difference between Waino and guys like Carlos Martinez and I'm not picking on Carlos. You know I'm a big fan of his. I like I like his talent. Is the way that Wayno is able to bear down after the opponent feels like they're starting to get to him. He had a bad first inning. He came out and he ended up dominating after that. And Wayno said after the first inning he knew he was going to be fine. I didn't press the panic button because I, I felt great. I was locating my stuff. And, uh, you know, when you, when you do that, usually when you feel good and you locate – everything then you got a really good chance to pitch well and so I, I came to the dugout afterwards and I said no they're not scoring any more runs I'm keeping it right there and uh, our hitters took it upon themselves to make sure that you know they were gonna put some runs on the board too that mindset that's the difference between him and some of the other starters that the Cardinals are throwing out there right now and that's why when people question me when I say he's the ace that's why I still say he's the ace and I understand that Jack Flaherty is the number one guy but ace in my opinion is a little different like when you need to go so to somebody just, i'm not willing to go that far just because i mean jack flaherty won his first nine starts of the season i, I get <laughs> you know, that like, but that but he's he's the he's the number one guy but for me ace is a little different ace is the guy that you have to have on your roster that can get you out of a jam yeah. that can help you in any situation that you need that can take the team on its back that's what adam wainwright is right now if i told you the cardinals have a must-win game and you get to choose and, and jack flaherty is healthy he's 100 percent 
You're putting Wayno out there ahead of Jack Flaherty? Is it home or away? Doesn't matter. I'm taking Jack Flaherty. I get He's just it. a better pitcher. I and, and that's not a shot against Adam Wainwright. I get it, but Jack Flaherty starting last night, I think you're still wondering what the team's going to do. Like, we all went into last night's game with Adam Wainwright's start saying we need the Adam Wainwright out of him, right? Yeah. And, and like, I that's... just don't want to push down Jack Flaherty for, to, to be able to build up Adam Wainwright. Waino deserves to be built up today after what he did last night, but I don't think it needs to come at the expense of what we've seen from Flaherty I'm this just, year. I, maybe it's the way I look at it differently. I just, I'm not trying to push down Jack Flaherty here. I'm just looking at this as that's a stuff from a guy. Like Definitely. You call upon him. The bat signal went out last night, and Adam Wainwright stepped up. Jack Flaherty can do that but not like Adam Wainwright can do it. And that's why for me, it's just, it's a threshold that you get to at some point, but for some reason, Adam Wainwright still holds on to that. Maybe I'm crazy. I drank early. I don't know. (laughs) It's not crazy at all. I see where you're going at there. And I think really, if we're looking at this through the Cardinals lens, what we're talking about is a good problem to have. If we're having to decide, hey, who's the ace of this staff? And it's who's the ace of this staff because both are qualified. That's a good thing. That when, when Jack Flaherty returns, that's a massive deal for the Cardinals. And if they're able to add to that externally, I would imagine, now you're really cooking with gas. And that's how you become a contender is when you believe in two, three, even four starters once you get into the postseason. I have the utmost faith in Jack Flaherty. At home, I have that same faith in Adam Wainwright. And that's deserved by the two of them for what they've done so far this season. It's certainly what Wayno did both last night and to your point, Alex, a couple of times last year when the Cardinals needed it most as well. With Alex Ferrario and Marty Jenkins, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 11:15. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up at 12 o'clock, we'll be joined by Buster Olney, one of the best baseball writers in the country, and he'll be on Cards versus Cubs this Sunday night on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. But coming up next, Tyler O'Neill is making a really strong case that he should be an all-star this year. And Alex, do you want to see him in the home run derby? I'm conflicting, conflicted on this. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. You know, when I look back at, at, at where he's at, I feel like he's a different player than he was a year ago. And um, I think it's great to see him. O'Neal crushes one out to deep left field. How far? Mammoth shot. Tyler O'Neal, home run number 14. And O'Neal sends one out to center. Zimmer back at the wall. Gone! Two home run night, Tyler O'Neal. Yeah, I don't think there's any question he's playing at an all-star caliber. That's the kind of player he is. But yes, I would say that unequivocally. Mike Schiltz has confidence in Tyler O'Neal right now. And this is new, Alex. I mentioned this earlier today on the Danny Mac Show. If you look back at last year in the playoffs, game three of the wild card round, whatever you want to look at it, against the San Diego Padres. Cardinals were down to their final out. It was the bottom of the ninth. And Tyler O'Neill was set to come to the plate. Again, final out of the series, potentially. They're down 4 nothing. Instead of bringing Tyler O'Neill to the plate, they pinch hit for him with Austin Dean. That's where the confidence level was with Tyler O'Neill at the end of last season. Yeah, that's so, when you said you were out on Tyler O'Neill. I absolutely did. And the next day, we came on the air, and we talked about exactly that. Is it over for Tyler O'Neill mm-hmm. in St. Louis? My opinion on that, that day, was probably. It, it felt in that moment like it was done. It, there was no reason to believe that he was going to be the answer for the Cardinals here in St. Louis. Man, he is not only the answer right now, he's potentially an all-star for the Cardinals. And God, do we need to give a bunch of credit to John Mosaylock. 
as much crap as we've given him for or people have given him over the last few years for his outfield decisions, this is one that feels like it's going in the right direction. In his last 19 games, which is all that he's played over the last month, Alex, he has six doubles, nine home runs, 20 RBI, and 16 runs. <laughs> Tyler O'Neill for the last month has been one of the best players in baseball, if not the best player in the sport. It's unbelievable what we're watching right now. I think you take away the word potentially. He's an all-star right now. And I'd like to see somebody try and argue that he's not because the defense on top of what he's doing with home runs, he's got 15 home runs this season, which if I'm not mistaken, how many is the most in the National League? About 16, 17? 18 right now in baseball. He's tied for fourth in the league right I, now. I mean, 15 home runs. Do you know how many games he has gone hitless since he returned in May 27th? Oh, I think it's like one or two. It's one. Yeah. He's gone hitless in one game. And Ricky Horton said something on the broadcast last night that I loved. It was an at-bat where Tyler O'Neill was working the count, and he did a check swing on a breaking ball on the outside of the zone. And Ricky said, that's a change to Tyler O'Neill right there. And as soon as he said that, I'm thinking, man, Ricky, you're spot on. Because Tyler O'Neill is swinging all the way through out of his cleats on that ball, probably with a bad lower back afterwards. But that's not him this season. He's checking swings. He's working counts. He's getting the counts to, to a full count after he's down 0-1. Tyler O'Neill is a different player right now. And you do have to give props to John Mozalek because this is a guy that was hitting miraculous home run numbers in the minors. And it just didn't transition into the major leagues up to this point. It was either he was hurt, he looked fatigued at the plate, he looked confused at the plate, but it finally checked in. And Tyler O'Neill right now is the answer that the Cardinals have needed. He's the bat that they've needed in the outfield. And not just the bat. The defense. We made fun of him getting a gold glove last year because of the analytics. A diving catch he made last night, he's been doing that all season. He's a gold glove caliber player. He really is. He matches everything. And then on top of it, he hits home runs and he like he does a fast mall walk through the base paths. He's not watching it. He's not taking it. He's ready to get this game going. It's not even a mall walk. He is running, running. around the bases faster than we can run at full speed. Like That's it's, true. That's it's very absurd. True. That's true. Um, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 314. Guys, at this point, we've asked this question before. We'll ask it again. Who would you rather have, Randy Rosarena or Tyler O'Neill? The O'Neal. answer is Tyler O'Neill. 100%. I'm done holding out. 100%. I've seen enough. It, it, is, it is a month of production at the plate like what we saw last year in a month of production at the plate from Randy Rosarena. This is Randy Rosarena ask what we're watching right now from Tyler O'Neill. And no, it's not in the playoffs, so there is definitely you got to differentiate there, but what we're seeing is is all-star stuff. I mean, I mentioned the article the other day over on espn.com of the projected all-star um voting for the National League. They had Chris Taylor on there. Chris Taylor ain't making this all-star game over Tyler O'Neill. No. He doesn't deserve it, at least. And Chris Taylor's a good player. He's super valuable the same way that Tommy Edmond is because he can play all over the field. He Mm -hmm. plays center field for the Dodgers. He plays second. He's great anywhere you put him. He's been uber productive at the plate. Tyler O'Neill's been better. Like, flat out, Tyler O'Neill has been a better player this year. And I know he's only played 43 games, but as long as he stays healthy, knock on wood, he's going to be deserving of making it to the all-star game with the way that he's played lately. I did want to mention a couple of the things that he said after the game yesterday because I think you can almost feel the confidence exuding off of Tyler O'Neill right now. It started out with where this success is coming from. 
I think the biggest thing for me is simplification, understanding which numbers work for me. You know, there's so much, uh, so many metrics and so many, uh, so much different data that you can, uh, you know, use and talk about. Uh, so just really understanding, you know, how I'm getting attacked and, um, you know, just being able to utilize myself and uh, knowing, knowing uh, where I can do damage in the zone has, has helped me a lot this year. Boy, we spent yesterday talking about, do you put any criticism on Jeff Albert and Mike Maddox? And Mike Maddox is a different one, but since we're talking Tyler O'Neill. Right there is why I don't put criticism on Jeff Albert. Because even if it's not working for individual players, it's working on a guy you needed it to work on. And it's Tyler O'Neill. And a little bit of what he said there, and maybe I'm reading too much in between the lines, BK, that's what Torrey Hunter had told us in the past, right? Where you Brought stop, up the exact same thing with you Dan today. stop trying to be the analytics guy. You stop trying to be, well, if you hit this one on a curve at 96-degree angle, you'll take it to this. Stop being that. Tyler O'Neill, you were a power hitter. You are a guy who can be a threat at the plate. Just go up and do that. And right there, he's understanding what he needs to do. The check swing shows you a different player, but the power is still there. So props to Tyler O'Neill, and I'll give props to Jeff Albert. And I know people don't like to hear it, but from last year when he was pinch hit for Austin Dean to this year, that's a different man up at the plate. And the funny thing, or I, I don't know if it's funny, but the thing about Tyler O'Neill that's always been interesting to me is He's shown this kind of production in the minors. I mean, every stop that he had, he hit 32 home runs in the high A ball back in 2015. You go to 2016, he gets to double A. He hits 24 home runs there. 2017 in triple A, he hits 31 home runs. He gets to the triple uh, A in 2018. And between there and the big leagues, he ends up hitting uh 39 home runs that year, 35 home runs that year. Like every year he's been in the minors, he's thrown, th- shown 30 plus home run production. Just didn't translate to the big leagues for whatever reason. And I think a lot of that is that lack of confidence or trying to listen to too many different people. And now he's simplifying things. He looks like the player that he was for many years down in the minors. Well, and it's the same thing with Dylan Carlson, too. Like, when you're 22, 23, 24 years old and you're a highly touted prospect and people are expecting you to bring 45 home runs to the bigs, it doesn't translate that fast. It takes some time to get acclimated. He's 25 years old. Like, now is the time where you start to see, okay, what kind of major leaguer are you now, right? Don't uh, – former – Athletes, former pros that played. Jim Edmonds talks about it all the time, about a thousand at bats, right? That's where you start to look at it and say, okay, now you're starting to see what this guy's it's is. 600 right now. So you're going to start learning Tyler O'Neill. And I think the same can be said for Harrison Bader, for Dylan Carlson. Harrison, a little bit past that, but still. And it's so funny because when he hits that second home run last night, this is funny to me, BK. You can hear the mic, she'll laugh if you want it. <laughs> Just so someone laughs. Um, when he hit that second home run last night, I'm sitting there watching it and I'm going, I wonder how many people are sitting there after all of the texts and the tweets that said, we already know what Tyler O'Neill is. Move on already. Do you think we know about him now? Like, does, does your mindset change a little about Tyler O'Neill? Because he's the everyday outfielder that you have been needing. He's got the power potential that the Cardinals have been looking for all along. It also is a little bit more fun for Tyler O'Neill whenever he's playing play baseball the way that he has over the last month or so. Yeah, baseball's fun. <laughs> it's a fun sport when you're hitting the ball. So, um, you know, this emphasis for me is just to stay short. Um, again, understand how I'm getting attacked and, um, you know, put some balls in play. Good things happen that way. You have like a laughing match game of Tyler Did- O'Neill and Mike Schilt. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Schilt. Did you hear the beginning of that, though? Because it made me think of our home run derby. No, that um, wasn't fun, BK. I, I know, but what he says here is it's real. baseball is really fun when you're hitting the ball really hard. 
And I just, I, I can't, I can't really relate to that. I had a lot of fun at the experience of the home run derby. I can't say that hitting the ball was particularly fun for me. So I, I feel like I can kind of relate to what he's saying there because I would imagine he's starting to feel that breakthrough that guys like Patrico and Moon and King Scott and Riz okay. and Stalter. Look, I asked you BT guys yesterday. All had. I asked you guys yesterday, like, when this was going to stop and now it's it, it's it's still going on <laughs> stop it mike schilt stop laughing at me. that i've got for you alex do you want to see him in the home run derby tyler o'neill because i asked adam wainwright yesterday do you believe that tyler o'neill is deserving of being an all-star here's what he said he's doing everything too he's not just hitting home runs he's playing great defense and running the bases really well he's just got a lot of tools he is so toolsy he's Obviously, really strong. I mean, the barrel, if he hits the barrel wherever it's pointed, it's going to go left, right, center, doesn't matter. Uh, but he's playing just outstanding defense, too. You know, he made another diving play tonight. He made a crazy catch up against the wall the other day. He's an all around great baseball player. We're great. We are lucky to have him in left field for sure. I'd like to see him in that home run derby, too. That'd be fun. Why wouldn't you want him in it? I don't want him in it. Why? I don't want oh, anything don't give, messing with his swing. Don't give me, oh, God, this is I, the, I don't want anything messing with what Tyler O'Neill is doing right now. And I know we're, we're still a month away from this. He, there's a lot of time between now and the home run derby. I don't need to see Tyler O'Neill participate. I'm good. I, I know what it looks like when he participates in a home run derby because I literally have been watching it for a month now. Every night for Tyler O'Neill is a home run derby where he's hitting him 450 plus feet. He hit 900 feet worth of home runs last night. 900. Are you one of those guys that thinks when you say no hitter, then the no hitter's over? No, but I know th there's been like actual data that has been uh, released that suggests guys struggle after they hit in the home run derby. I don't need that for Tyler O'Neill. This Cardinals team doesn't need that. They're already, they've got plenty of guys on the injured list right now. I don't need Tyler O'Neill being on the injured list with a sore oblique after a home oh, run derby. Geez. I don't need that. I'd pay. Hey. More power to you, Tyler. If you can get asked to be in it and go out there and show off those Canadian muscles, go be toolsy for the home run derby while you're toolsy for the Cardinals all season. Can you imagine Tyler O'Neill at Coors in the this, home run derby? This man crushed, like, what, a total of 966 feet of home runs last night with his two bombs? Like, give me that home run derby every day of the week. He might hit one 600 feet. That's fine. It, it would it would go out Where, of course. Where's the All-Star game at this year? Denver. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Please <laughs> go to Denver. Balls. That's right. Pound some balls in Denver there, Tyler O'Neill. It'd be unbelievable to watch, but I want no part of watching it. With Alex Ferrario, Marty Jenkins, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, why do all of these quarterbacks seem to want to go play for the Broncos? I feel like I'm missing something here. Alex will hopefully explain it to me next on 101 ESPN. So I feel like I'm missing something in the NFL. The biggest story in the sport right now, of course, is Aaron Rodgers and his continued absence from the Green Bay Packers mini camps. He's not going to show up. He's going to get fined what, $50,000 a day, $100,000 for the week. It's not great. But it seems like every quarterback has now been connected to the Denver Broncos, Alex. That was the team that was kind of thrown around at draft day time for Aaron Rodgers. And now... 
Kareem Jackson, the former Texans cornerback and now Broncos cornerback, went on a keep to Leeb's podcast yesterday and said this about Deshaun Watson's interest in playing in Denver. He he like, man, listen, that's why I, he like, I want to be in Denver. I want he's like in in like during the time while I was going through, you know, my little free agency thing and, and I end up signing back here. Before I signed, he called, he was like, man, are you going to sign? I was like, I don't know. I ain't sure yet. He was like, well, you know, let me know what you're going to do, whatever, whatever. And I signed back. He was like, listen, man, tell him that like, I want to be in Denver. So I'm like, hey, man. So he's excited. Is that what he said? Is that what he said? <laughs> man. Okay. He wants to be in Denver. Good so to Kareem know. Jackson, the safety for the Broncos, says, hey, Deshaun Watson wants to come here to Denver. And then he said, man. Some breaking news there. Where's the breaking news sounder? <laughs> We're not doing that. No. Only for Kyle Gibson starts. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, why? What am I missing here, Alex? Like, I'm, I'm not suggesting that the Broncos stink. They don't. They have a pretty solid roster overall. But why of all teams is this the one that the quarterbacks seem to be kind of leaning towards? Am I, is there anything that you can think of that's like, oh, that's why. That's why the Broncos are the team that everybody wants to go to. Marijuana's legal there. Okay. Would that be, but I mean, that might benefit some of it, right? Man. Yeah. <laughs> See? Kareem's already probably into that. No, look, I, I think some of it might be. <laughs> you can't speculate on that, man. <laughs> I, I, think so, I think some of it has to be former teammates, right? Like, obviously, he played there, and I think they're pretty close with each other. I think he even said that in the podcast yeah. with Akeem Tlaib. Two is the success that Denver has had in the past. Like, maybe he, and this is pure me just throwing things at a wall and seeing what sticks. He sees Peyton Manning go there after his time in Indy and goes and wins Super Bowls with them. Um, I, I think a lot of it has to be the roster. I, I mean, you look at the wide receiver that he's going to have. I mean, he's got three legit guys to throw Judy, to. Cortland Sutton, and Hamilton. Just, yep. Yeah, so I mean, like you got three guys that can be legit weapons. On top of it, you got Noah Fant as the tight end. You got some pretty decent running back. I don't think their offensive line is very good, but <laughs> he's been playing with with turds out in Houston. So like, at least he can have a little bit more success there. And the defense is awesome. So like, I think if you're Deshaun and you look at that roster and you're like, okay, maybe this team's, this team's better than Houston. That's for sure. Well, that's a low bar. I mean, it is a low bar, but I mean, I have no idea why you would want to go to Denver. Maybe he likes orange. I don't know. I look at, I think there's three teams that immediately, if I was in their situation, I would be looking at and saying, those are much better spots than Denver. Miami would be number one on my list. I would want to go play for Brian Flores with a roster that I think is every bit as talented, if not more so, than the Denver Broncos. Okay, but, and you're in Miami. But they got Tua. Okay. They're not trading for you. Like, if you're if you're Deshaun, you're looking at Denver and you're thinking, Are they we need sure? me. Are we sure? Well, yeah. If, if the Miami Dolphins got a call today from the Green Bay Packers and, and the Packers said, hey, we'll give you Aaron Rodgers. You give us three first-round picks in return. You don't think the Dolphins are taking that? I mean, maybe maybe it ends up Tua sits behind Aaron Rodgers for the next couple of seasons, or you decide to flip Tua for somebody else or a draft pick next year. I think the Dolphins would absolutely say yes to something like that. No, I don't know. I, or, or the or the Texans, if everything's cleared up with Watson, and that's the the front end of this, of course. If everything gets cleared up with Watson and the Texans call them and say, hey, we'll trade you to Sean Watson for Tua and a couple of firsts, I I couldn't say yes quick enough if I'm the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I, I, 
I guess. But if you're Miami, it sure seems like they have a plan that they're going with surrounded by Tua. So, But again, maybe it's more the ownership. And I get Brian Flores, the success with the head coach there. But if you're Deshaun, do you look at Denver and you're like, look, they're committed to winning. And on top of it, they've had a winning past and their ownership cares about the team. Their ownership group's in flux now, though. Their their old owner, Pat Bolin, has passed away. Isn't and it now John Elway now? He He's kind of in the figurehead role. He, he's like the king, right? Like, there's not a whole Elvis? lot. <laughs> no, no. Um, there's not a whole lot of power there, but, like, he's, he's he waves. He waves to everybody, right? Oh, well, I could do that. Uh, Washington is another one. I would rather go to the Washington professional football team than to the Denver Broncos. Oh, no, I'd go to Denver before Washington. Really? Why? Denver's got a better receiving core. Do they? I think so. Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin? Yeah, but I, I like you got young Judy with Hamilton. Didn't Gandy Golden come on good too? He was pretty good for him last year. They just took Diami Brown, who's a receiver out of North Carolina in the second round this year. They've got Antonio Gibson out of the backfield. I don't know, man. I feel pretty good about what Washington's got for me outside. And then the other one, the third one that I would go with is the Carolina Panthers. Oh. I think Carolina's pretty darn good. You look at their receiving core. I've got DJ Moore. I've got Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey coming out of my backfield. Yeah, but he's only playing for two games. Then he gets okay. hurt and he's out for ten. So you're you're in on you actually you're in on this Broncos thing. I mean, I get it. I'm not in on it. If I'm Deshaun, I'm going. To, I'm saying Miami. Like I want to live in Miami. But I mean, if you're if you're wanting to win, if you want. An awesome receiving core, and if you want ownership that seems committed, I think Denver would be at the top of that list. But I don't know. I mean, maybe he's like boys with Von Miller, and that's why he wants to go there. That seems to be usually <laughs> Kareem Jackson. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be why. Like usually, why you guys want to go somewhere is like, oh yeah, you and I are close. Let's go here. Man, <laughs> yeah. that's it. That was the breaking news. All right. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to get to NFL related as it comes to the uh, as it relates to quarterbacks. I thought this was a really interesting question. So Albert Breer does a mailbag column for Sports Illustrated. And somebody asked him, if you could have any team with uh, Patrick Mahomes on it, who would you take? And he said he would take the Bills. My question to you, Alex, to kind of amend this one. If you could trade Mahomes for your quarterback, so you're you're the GM of every all, all 31 other teams, how many teams do you think would go into next, next season as the Super Bowl favorite if they had Mahomes as their quarterback instead of their current quarterback? Does that make sense? Yeah. So you replace your starting quarterback with Patrick Mahomes. How many teams could then say, okay, we are now the Super Bowl favorites because we have Patrick Mahomes instead of the guy that we had previously? My gosh, I feel like every one of them, but that can't be true. The Bills, we agree? Yeah, they the would Bills, be definitely. Dolphins? Would you put the Dolphins as a Super Bowl favorite if instead of Tua you had Patrick Mahomes? I don't think so because like he doesn't have playmaker's there with him. I, I feel like we disagree on how good the Dolphins playmakers we are. We must because I don't really think they have that solid of playmakers. Devontae Parker, Will Fuller, and they just drafted Jalen Waddle. Okay, Mike Kosecki. Yeah, with Jalen Waddle and like G Mike but Will Fuller, like, okay, he's hurt. He's he, kind of like the Christian McCaffrey of wide receivers. He yeah, plays but three. When he's games. on the field, he's well, really that's good. That's great, but I, I I don't know if they make Miami a Super Bowl contender, but maybe it's because I just don't like the Dolphins. Baltimore? No. You don't think so? No. With Patrick Mahomes? Who's he throwing to? Sammy Watkins. Yeah, and it worked out with him and Sammy Watkins in Kansas City. That's fair. There's not a whole lot going on there. (laughs) I tried to make the case, guys. I failed. Uh, The Cleveland Browns. I think the Browns will become Super Bowl Cleveland, 100%. Yep. Tennessee Titans? With A.J. Brown and Julio Jones and Derrick Henry? I feel like yes, but I also feel like that defense is still 
terrible. So, like, I think he'd find a way to score enough points. Maybe he could play cornerback, too, for him and probably have success. So, yeah, I'd say Tennessee, maybe. Indy? Yeah. Yeah, because Carson Wentz isn't any good. So, yeah, I think I think he's better. I think the Chargers would be on that list. Oh, by far. <laughs> Apparently, we all think that the Broncos would be on that list. Yeah, Pittsburgh Steelers. I, think I, would, Pits- I wouldn't. Really? No. I think Pittsburgh might. No. I, they, they would be kind of the, the Ravens, the reaction that you had on the Ravens. That would be my same reaction on the Steelers. I think that they are yeah, lacking on talent. Yeah, because Juju and Sammy Watkins are the similar <laughs> player. Kind of. Kind of. A little bit. Uh, I, I would have the Chargers on that list, the Broncos. Washington would definitely be on that list for me. Yeah. Him with that defense. Oh, God, yeah. Him, yeah, to 100%, yes. I think the Packers, certainly. Packers. If you just added him and you replaced Rodgers, you the don't Vikings? have any of that uncertainty. I think so. I think the Vikings become legit. The Chicago Saints Bears. certainly do. The Bucks do. Mm, Panthers would be interesting, but I don't think they're that no, close. I don't think they're that good. Rams, definitely. Yeah. 49ers, I would say absolutely. I think the Cardinals There's would like too. There's like 15 teams that if they had Patrick Mahomes, they immediately become the Super Bowl favorite. That's half the league. <laughs> we get it. Pat Mahomes is awesome. Six five seven eight. Always here. Comfort service. Sex amazing. line questions and answers is next. <laughs> Comfort service text line for questions and answers. Buster only joining the show coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. Let's start with this one from the 618. Hey guys, yesterday I was listening to the fast lane and Anthony Stalter proposed the possibility of trading for an outfielder. Do you believe that the Cardinals, instead of trading right now for a pitcher, should consider trading for an outfielder? I think it, if I heard the segment that they're referencing, I think he was talking about going out there and getting Starling Marte. Which that's already come out now, and Starlin has said he's not going anywhere. But yeah, I, see, here's where I am on this: if 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 Flaherty and Michaelis come back healthy, which who knows with Michaelis, but I'm not as stressed out about my starting pitching. I think you'd be better if you can go get a Kyle Gibson or a Max Scherzer. But I'm okay with what my core looks like, and the bullpen obviously in a in a playoff situation get somebody's getting pushed to the bullpen which is going to benefit them Kyle Gibson started last night by the way against the Giants oh breaking news sounder <laughs> six strong innings two earned runs allowed he's been so good for them this year maybe that's just because Texas stinks and if he comes here he's not going to be that good I don't know I the fact that he's pitching well for Texas makes me feel even better I guess about it depends it, on who the outfielder is if if you could tell me that I could get Cattell Marte from Arizona he'd be my starting center fielder I'm making that move over going to get a Max Scherzer because I'll make a push for a starting pitcher in the free agency but I know that my offense is going to be able to compete with the Padres and the Dodgers and the Braves and the Cubs but if I can't get that caliber of an outfielder, if I'm just going to get a Mitch Haniger or a Trey Mancini, and I know these guys are good, but I'm talking like superstar potential, I think I'd rather go a pitcher. Starling Marte's had an unbelievable year. He's batting 340 right now. He has an OPS right around 1,000. He's hit for power. He has not been healthy for the majority of the season, so that's something to consider here. He's a free agent after the season. If you could go get him and the cost isn't all that high, I'd be fine with that. I've got no issues with it. If you had, if it's the same price though to get a guy like Starling Marte as it is to go get Kyle Gibson, I would prioritize Kyle Gibson. So it really becomes, what's the risk versus the reward? What am I giving up? What are they bringing to me? I think the upgrade from whoever you deem to be your fifth starter right now, probably Jake Woodford, maybe let's yeah. go with him. Whoever that guy is, or KK Oviedo, whatever. 
the upgrade from that player to Kyle Gibson is much more significant for the Cardinals than going from who would be the guy that's replacing probably Edmundo Sosa to Starling Marte or whatever. The, yeah. the gap between those two players is just mi- much bigger for me on the pitcher side than it is on the hitter side. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers uh, from the 314. Guys, what are your thoughts on the rumors that the Cardinals could be signing Shelby Miller? There were some rumors yesterday. This came from, I believe it was Derek Gould, who said the Cardinals have at least had talks with Shelby Miller about a minor league contract. And then came from Shelby Miller, responding to the tweet that said, stay tuned. Yeah. Um, Okay. Like, he's 30 years old. He has not been good in his last three seasons at the major league level. If you're 31 ERA this year, that is fantastic. And that was only two innings of work. So imagine what that could be for the Cardinals. If he's a if he's a minor league pitcher for you in Triple H, where if you need him in an emergency emergency situation, great. If you're planning on this guy being the the upgrade to your pitching staff because of the injuries, that's not great. Because honestly, I think Daniel Ponce de Leon or Jake Woodford is better than Shelby Miller. I agree. If they go out and sign Shelby Miller, Cardinals fans and I get this will see the name and they'll be like, oh, Shelby's back. No, no, Shelby's not back. This is Shelby Miller, who is 30 years old, yeah. who has not pitched very well. That Shelby won't. That Shelby hasn't been around since 2015. Yeah, it, he was okay for the Diamondbacks in 2017, but that was four years ago, man. He's not that player anymore. He had, like I said, a 31 ERA and three appearances for the Cubs. Just really struggled for them to be able to get through innings. He did go down to AAA, had a little bit more success down there. Did not go deep into games. So my guess is what this would be. They're bringing him in because their their AAA club right now is getting obliterated. They, they have no depth for their rotation. And a lot of these teams in the minors are doing openers. where They're going two, three innings with their starters right now. So I, I think that's what they would be doing with Shelby Miller. It's just finding a way to get through their AAA season more, th- more than anything else. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 573. Guys, I think that the question was about uh, Cattell Marte, not Starling Marte. BK, get it together. Both are potential trade targets. Cattell Marte is the great player from the Diamondbacks who may or may not be available. He's got three more years of club control. The cost would be exorbitant to be able to go get a player like him. It would be... I mean, we're talking... It would decimate your minor league system. Gorman, Liberator, and more is what it could potentially cost to be able to go get Star or Cattell Marte. Starling Marte is the center fielder for the Marlins, who has had a great season this year when healthy. He's been hurt. He's on the final year of his deal. He'd be much more affordable if he's going to get dealt. But as Alex said, Starling Marte said yesterday he wants to spend the rest of his career in Miami. Why wouldn't so. you? Exactly. With Alex Ferrario and Marty Jenkins, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of better. For my money, he is one of the best baseball analysts in the country. He is Buster Olney. You can find his work over at ESPN.com. You can catch him on the ESPN broadcast, including Cardinals versus Cubs this Sunday night on ESPN. It's at 6 o'clock. Buster Olney joins us now via the Brownie and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Buster, we always appreciate the time, my friend. How you doing today? I'm doing great. Just got off a, uh, a preparation call for Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, you know, on with Mac, Matt Biscursion and Alex Rodriguez. Beautiful. Well, we're looking forward to that broadcast. Let's start there, Buster. We've got a million things we want to get into you uh, into with you, rather. But 
What have you made of this Cardinals team so far this season? One guy in particular that I definitely wanted to ask you about was Tyler O'Neill because my goodness, has he been absolutely amazing for them over the course of the last month? Yep. It's like, he's absolutely putting everything together. Um, you know, he's always someone that, uh, you know, you, you knew had physical talents, but you can see the experience in his plate appearances. You can see the confidence that he plays with. Uh, and he's got some swag, you know, and in a time when we talk about that so much with, you know, guys like Ronald Acuna Jr. and Fernando Tatis Jr., Tyler's got that kind of swag too. Um, you know, generally about the Cardinals, it feels like at the moment, like they're in survivor mode. Um, we On the call that we just had, you know, I mentioned to the other guys that, I can't think of many injuries, if any injury, uh, with other teams that potentially has more impact than Flaherty going down for the Cardinals uh, because he just is not someone that they can necessarily replace with the guys that they have on, uh, you know, on their staff. Uh, it's, it's tough to replace an ace. And you know, he's going to be out a long time, and when he comes back, you wonder how he's going to be. Um, you know, I'm sure that in the front office, they're going to be examining the question of whether or not there's somebody worthwhile to go and pursue. Uh, and it does feel like for me anyway, the question is, you know, can the, the Cardinals rope a dope it here for the next six to eight weeks leading up the trade deadline up to when Flaherty comes back, um, you know, or and stay close with the, the Cardinals and the Brewers or will one of those teams, those other two teams take off in the division? What's the necessity level, you think, Buster, to try and hold off to the trade deadline? Because, of course, more big fish are going to be available, and that big name is Max Scherzer. Or do you think yeah. John Mozeliak and the Cardinals, because of the situation in the NL Central, has come to the point where you might have to just be desperate and go make a trade now? Yeah, and you probably can go get you know a depth guy. Kyle Gibson, for example, uh, of the Texas Rangers comes to mind. He's not an elite guy. Uh, you know, Mike Miner, um, you know, uh, at some point, you know, he maybe you can go and get him. Um, I, I think just given the even before uh, Flaherty went down, there were questions about depth with the Cardinals rotation. So they probably could benefit from that. But if I'm the Cardinals, I'm not betting big yet. Right. Because uh, I think you got to see more from the team and whether or not they're going to respond. You'd hate to go out and you know, give up major resources, and, and look, Scherzer's not available yet, but let's just say he was, uh, you wouldn't want to go out and give up major resources, and then by the time, you know, Jack came back, that, you know, you potentially could be six or eight games behind the, the Brewers or, or Cubs. I think they have to wait and see uh, how they play, but I do think they could uh, benefit from a, a depth trade now. Buster, how much do you think it would cost you, Kyle Gibson? And do you think the Rangers, given where their season's at right now, I mean, they're 15 games below 500. It feels like yeah. this is already a lost cause for them. Do you think they would be willing to talk trade already? Absolutely. You know, you could call the Cubs about Matt Boyd, um, you know, who would be a little bit more expensive. Um, now, the prices are high because there's just not that many sellers right now. I was talking with the general manager the other day about this, and he goes, you know, not only is the industry, you know, at this at this stage still really focused on the, the draft, which is on July 11th, but there's just not many teams out in the marketplace right now. And so if you are the Texas Rangers and you got phone calls uh, about Kyle, you might ask for a, you know, a B-plus return. Um, by the time we get to the end of July, maybe you're getting a B-minus return for him when there are a lot more starting pitchers available and I do think they're going to be a decent number of names. There's no question that Max 
Uh, if, in fact, the Nationals decide to become sellers and they don't you know, turn around between now and then, he would be the biggest name on the board. What are some other names, Buster? Because we've been trying to wrap our heads around that, and we brought up uh, Kyle Gibson. We brought up Matt Boyd. We brought up a couple of different names. Jose Barrios Jose is Barrios a long-term option. But are there other yep. names out there that, that maybe people aren't talking enough about that could become available come closer to trade deadline time? Well, I mean, you guys hit on the big ones for sure. You know, one name, and I was actually going to work on a column about this between now, uh, you know, in the middle of next week, is I really think considering where the Phillies are, you know, not playing well, I think there's a chance the Mets separate themselves. I think they absolutely should put Zach Wheeler out on the market, you know, for the same reason that the Cubs did with you, Darvish, where, you know, it, it not only, uh, you know, when Zach Wheeler signed his contract, he was at a different time for the financial landscape around baseball. Now Zach is one of the highest-paid starting pitchers in baseball. He's having an excellent year. His value will never be higher for the Phillies than it is right now, and they need other payroll flexibility. So I, I do wonder if they'll go down the road between now and July 31st of perhaps moving him. Um, but let's face you know, a lot of what's got to happen. Uh, John Gray of the Rockies, absolutely. Herman Marquez of the Rockies. I think those are two other names to watch. I do think that by the time we get to July 31st, it'll be a better climate for teams that are seriously looking for starting pitching. Buster, final thing trade deadline-wise that I wanted to ask you about before we get over into the biggest story in the sport right now nationally, which is, of course, the, the foreign substances uh, rules that are taking effect here pretty soon. The Chicago Cubs, do you think the way they've played so far this year has changed the, the marketplace for them? Are, are they now looking more as buyers than they were as sellers at one point? No doubt about it. Uh, I think that, you know, as they started the year so slowly, uh, you know, in mid-April, they had some of the worst offensive numbers in baseball. I think that front office was absolutely prepared to sell big, you know, to deal Chris Bryant and to deal Rizzo during the year and deal Javier Baez, and, and that's changed now. Now, I think given the financials losses last year that the, that the ownership uh, you know, uh, experience. I don't think they'll be really, really big buyers, but I do think they'll be at this point measured buyers. I would also say that it's a fluid situation. You know, I think the Cubs are playing well and they're hitting really well. But if you know, for example, they were to lose twenty of the next thirty games, they could boomerang right back into that situation when they could decide to become sellers. And I, and I, I bet you that there's a little bit of if they wind up. Uh, you know, being buyers and then not playing that well down the stretch, there'll be some remorse in the front office because given the current situation, they got a lot of pieces, guys uh, who have value in the current market. So, Buster, of course, the biggest topic right now in baseball is the substance situation and checking the pitchers. And where are we at right now and any updates? Because it seems like we're moving closer to Major League in implementing this into games. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, the conversations finalizing the plan that are going on right now, I've talked to sources who say they believe that a memo could go out to teams now uh, at the beginning of next week. That'll be processed for a few days, and, may and then Major League Baseball will order umpires to enforce the rule that's on the books. And from what I understand, you know, that could mean eight to ten checks of pitchers Per game, it's going to be like, a, as it's described to me, like a DUI checkpoint. It's going to be random. Um, and they're also cognizant of the fact that they don't want to slow down the pace of play. 
So a lot of the checks might actually take place at the end of a half inning or at the end of an outing for a pitcher. So, you know, the TV goes to commercial break, pitcher's walking off the mound, and then the umpire's going to go out and he's going to say, show me your hand, show me your glove, you know, show me your cap or whatever's going on. And one thing to keep in mind, too, and, uh, you know, because the cameras have been ubiquitous, uh, in recent years, and you know, there's been so much focus on this this year, Major League Baseball actually has compiled to what it effectively scouting reports on pitchers, where they're going to be able to say to umpires at the outset of a series, you know, uh, you know, lefty buster only for the Seattle Mariners likes to keep uh, pine tar on his left hip inside his belt. That's the spot you want to check. And so the umpires will be armed with that information as those big games begin. It's, it's going to be very interesting, and it's going to be persistent. Um, and I, as I say, I would not be surprised if it starts to go into effect maybe at the end of next week. Hey, Buster, how much credit does Mike Schilt deserve for kind of making this an open conversation? It started with Joe West coming out and confiscating the hat from Giovanni Gallegos. <laughs> but then Mike Schilt, at least in my opinion, kind of put some pressure on baseball to do something about this with his amazing, honestly, and open comments after that game, kind of blowing the lid on what had been an open secret within the sport. Well, I think he got a lot of credit from his peers about saying something out loud. But I will tell you that the conversations were well down the tracks uh, going down this path. And, and I know that because when Joe West did that, people on both sides, the Players Association and, uh, and with MLB, went ballistic behind the scenes. They were furious with Joe because their feeling was, wait a second, we have these really sensitive talks going on between two sides that have a terrible working relationship. Um, you know, one side was effectively believing that the other side, uh, you know, may have jumped the gun trying to embarrass the other side. Uh, you know, I know there were people who were upset with Joe and like, wait a second, you know, what made you do that? And, and I think everyone by the end of the, that conversation realized this was just Joe West being Joe West. But it absolutely, for a period of about 12 hours, it, it, there was a chance that the whole thing was going to unravel because of the, the incredible distrust between the two sides and how Joe's action was taken. But Mike, you know, Mike's words were absolutely direct and blunt in what a lot of people have been saying behind the scenes. Buster only is our guest for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. You can check him out on Twitter. He's at Buster underscore ESPN. Always find his work at ESPN.com and you'll see him on the broadcast for Cardinals versus Cubs this Sunday night on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. All right, Buster, I did want to ask you, you know, one of the things that we've been talking a lot about on the station is what does this mean for offense? Because if they're going to crack down on this, there's a reason why they're doing that, at least I would imagine, in part because we've talked so much about how this is the worst batting average since the summer of 68 for, for hitters, and you've got strikeout rates that are increasing. What does this mean for offense in the sport? And it will absolutely uh, be a situation where you're going to see nerds like me, you know, doing presentations on television, and we're going to be looking at the before and after for the dates when they start the enforcement. So you will see charts that say, here's what the batting averages were before, here's what they were after. I think there's a chance to get to have a significant difference. And, uh, I mean, keep in mind this. Pitchers wouldn't be doing this stuff if it didn't work. Paul Ambikides, who's a great researcher for us, uh, dug out this number that if you have a – any slider curveball with uh, rotations per minute over 2,500 that the opponent's batting average, once you get over 2,500, 
drops from 269 to 189 on those pitches. Wow. Okay? As one general manager said to me, it's like these guys are throwing wiffle balls with how much movement there is. So there could be a, a big change there. And look, it's driven. You're right. The change is driven in part by uh, the diminished offense around baseball, and it's also absolutely driven by the position players, which completely reminds me of what happened in the steroid era. By the time we got to 2000, 2001, the clean players or players who wanted to be clean were enraged, and they forced the leadership of the union into drug testing because they figured out in a zero-sum competition, look, if uh, the other players were having an advantage, guess what? That was money out of their pockets. The same thing has happened here. You know, and guys like Josh Donaldson, Giancarlo Stanton have given voice to this in the last week where they figured out if you have pitchers dominating, well, guess who pays the price for that? It's the position players. And those guys, from what I understand, a lot of the information that's been collected by Major League Baseball has been video sent in by their, by position players huh. saying, look at what this cheater's doing. <laughs> look at this video of what this guy's doing. And so the – you know, the position players have turned on the pitchers and it's driven a lot of the change that we're going to see. Buster, final one for me. I find it fascinating just hearing different players and their opinions on situations, whether it be Trevor Bauer, Mike Trout. But the one that really got me was Pete Alonzo yesterday <laughs> from the Mets, where not yeah. only was he talking about how, you know, I don't really care what they use, but he also said that his bigger concern is that MLB seems to manipulate the balls year in and year out because of the free agency class. Yeah, and I love Pete Alonso. Uh, you know, he's as earnest and as open as anybody you're ever going to meet, and I completely disagree with him because I've been dealing with Major League Baseball people for a long time. They're not that organized. <laughs> and oh, by the way, uh, oh, by the way, if, in fact, in 2019, as he suggested, they were trying to augment uh, or, excuse me, retard the amount of money being paid to those pitchers, well, Garrett Cole and his $324 million contract would tell you it failed because yeah. <laughs> you know, he broke the record by more than $100 million. Steven Strasburg got 245 So if there was somebody behind the scenes going, <laughs> we're going to do the ball so we can hurt pitchers and free agency, it didn't work. And I, I, I just – no, I don't think they're that smart. Uh, well, like, we'll get you out of here on this one, Buster. Somebody on our text line actually asked this. It's an inter interesting question, in my opinion. If the Cardinals did make a trade for Kyle Gibson in the near future, do you think that would take them out of the Max Scherzer sweepstakes given the cost? Uh, I, I don't think so. Um, and and, I, and I, as I mentioned, and this is just pure speculation from, from me, um, I, I think they need something to prop up their rotation to, to kind of keep him in play and buy time, uh, you know, to, to for the team to sort of define itself. But I can't imagine that if you're trading for Kyle Gibson, who, you know, is a, is a good major league pitcher, but I, he's not a star, uh, I, I can't imagine you'd be ripping up the roots of your farm system to make it happen. Okay, so you don't think that they would be able to do both? No, I think you could. I think you potentially could wow. do both. Um because I, you know, I just don't, I, I don't see the cost of Kyle Gibson being so outrageous. And if it was, then you can understand why, you know, John Mazalek would would hang up the phone. Sure. Interesting, Buster. We always appreciate the time. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Enjoy the broadcast on Sunday night, and we'll talk with you again soon. 
Okay, guys, thanks for thanks, having Buster. me. Thanks, Buster. Absolutely. That's Buster only joining us here on 101 ESPN. So we're going to... Okay, I, I'm just, I'm deep into this now. Give me Kyle Gibson and Max Scherzer. Okay, uh, Marty, what we're going to do here, we'll double break in the next break. I want to talk about this for about five minutes yeah, here. And we'll get into better to get forget into. it coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. If it is possible that the Cardinals could acquire both Gibson now and Max Scherzer at the deadline. If I have been overestimating what it would cost to get Kyle Gibson, if instead of Nolan Gorman, all you have to give up is Johan Oviedo, for example. Well, right? and I just pulled up the Rangers' top prospect situation. They have a lot of position players. So on their top 10 prospect list, they have two pitchers. One is in double A and he's 21 years old. He's their third best prospect. And then the seventh best prospect is also in double A and he's a right-handed pitcher. So two righties in their top 10, only in double A. Would you trade Johan Oviedo straight up one for one for Kyle Gibson? Right now. And it is it is only, he's free agent at the end of the season you get june july august september you have four months out of kyle gibson for potentially five or six years of control out of johan oviedo so it's it, you're giving up a lot of control there cost certainty with johan oviedo and a possible guy that could be maybe a number three starter for you in the future but what you're getting in return is a guy that's a number two starter for you right now who leads the american league in era this season I'm pulling the trigger on this because even if he's only for four months, this is a guy that you could probably bring back at a pretty decent cap hit because he's also the Mizzou St. Louis native, which I think is important to take into consideration. But look, regardless, are you trying to win a World Series this year? Yeah, that should be the stated goal. Well, then Kyle Gibson gets you closer to a World Series than Johan Oviedo does. And I don't care that it's just this year and you don't know if you could bring him back and Johan Oviedo's 23 and he could turn into a star I'm going for a World Series. I need help now. Kyle Gibson is the answer. And if Kyle Gibson can put me in a position to help me contend with the teams now. That's the thing. And get me to the trade deadline where I can still pull off a move for Max Scherzer. I'm pulling the trigger on both of those because then I'm at the same level as the L.A. Dodgers. So let's let's go through this real quick. So your rotation, if you traded for Kyle Gibson right now, would be Wayno as your number one, Gibson as your number two, your number three when he returns would probably be KK. Do you agree with that? I think I might put Wayno at number three. Well, I've got Wayno as your number one. Oh, right for, now. For right I'm now, sorry. Right now. Before you get Flaherty back. Yeah, yeah, I think I might put Carlos at number three. Don't you think? One Carlos has two. been better than Gant. KK. Yeah, I, frankly, it should be Gant, Carlos, KK. KK is my number five out of all of these guys. Okay, so you've got Wayno, Gibson, Gant. Carlos KK. Yeah. That's your five-man rotation right now. Mm-hmm. Then when Flaherty returns. I think that pushes, probably it would push Gant or KK to the bullpen. I bet you it would push Gant. Probably. Because he's going to be more effective out of your bullpen. You keep that lefty in the rotation. Yeah. Now you've got Gant as your bullpen arm. Then when Michaelis returns. KK comes out, in my opinion. Now KK is in the bullpen. And then. This you is get the big Max one. Scherzer and Carlos comes out. And now you've got a rotation of Flaherty, Wayno, Gibson, Michaelis, and Scherzer. What? Let, let me ask you this. What if it's not Johan Oviedo? What if you can pull this move off for Angel Rondon? Or maybe you go with uh, Kyle, or Zach Thompson. I don't you know? know if I would do Zach Thompson. Zach Thompson seems a little too extreme. If I can get this, and, and Buster said a B-plus prospect now or a B-minus prospect at the trade deadline time, I, I think you're talking B-plus, you're talking a top 10 prospect. B minus, you're talking probably nowhere near the top 10. If I can pull off, and Rondon is the 10th best prospect. He's in the same position as Johan Oviedo. 
But if I'm the Cardinals, who do you feel like is going to have a better future? Rondon or Oviedo? I would put my money on Oviedo. If I could Definitely. pull this deal off for Rondon and then throw in another bud- another face that's deeper into my system, I'm pulling that trigger right now because I have so many more bullets to use to get Max Scherzer, and my team has already gotten better with Kyle Gibson. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. People are very mad at us. Why? What <laughs> happened? There's one from the 314. You guys are ridiculous. This is all for Kyle Gibson. Are you nuts? Look at his career. He's a four or five at best. Uh, right now, he's a two. He has a 2.1 ERA on the season. Yeah, I think you guys aren't looking at what Kyle Gibson's doing this season. I totally understand if you're somebody that looks back at the back of a bit, his baseball card and say, hey, Kyle Gibson for his career has not been a great starter. I'm with you. He hasn't been. He's been super average, and my guess is the Cardinals wouldn't bring him back next year. That would be my assumption. I would operate under the belief that he is only going to be here for the next four months. But... He has a two ERA this season, and there's nothing about it that appears to be fluky. He's been legitimately good for them. So if he can come in, and even if it's not a two, maybe he ends up being a three five ERA. If I told you right now you could get with Kyle Gibson what Lance Lynn brought you in the early 2010s, I would sign up for that today. And that's around a three five ERA and giving you six plus innings per start. That's what Kyle Gibson can do. Man, I am amazed right now. The texts are coming in from the 636. You guys are living in a dream. Get back to reality. Guys, Buster only just said that it's possible to pull off a deal for Kyle Gibson and Max Scherzer. Another one. You guys keep trying to trade so much. First, I'm trading an Oviedo and Gorman for an all-star outfielder. Then Bader at the deadline for Scherzer. I think you were underestimating what Scherzer's (laughs) going to get at a trade deadline because Harrison Bader ain't pulling it off. And right now, as much as I'd love to see a bat in the outfield that's an all-star caliber player, you need pitching. Pitching is what's keeping you from the Dodgers and the Padres, not the offense. I think the offense can compete with those guys at full strength. Pitching cannot. You need these guys. And the biggest thing that a guy like Kyle Gibson does for you right now is he buys you time. He gives you the benefit of time. You don't have to rush back Jack Flaherty if you've got Kyle Gibson stabilizing your rotation a bit. You don't have to rush back Miles Michaelis if you've got this. He allows you to continue to compete while those guys are out and reevaluate things as you get closer to the trade deadline. If more injuries start to hit, well, then you're not going to be in on the Max Scherzer sweepstakes. Like, let's be honest, it's possible that things still go south and you ended up trading a pitcher that you're going to like that you wish that you had on your roster for somebody that didn't end up getting you over the top. That's in play. That's the risk of making a deal like this. But the Cardinals are trying to win a World Series this year. That should be their stated goal. You don't bring back Yadier Molina. You don't bring back Adam Wainwright if that is not the goal of the season. They traded for Nolan Arenado to open up a window. You're at the back end of the prime for Paul Goldschmidt. This is when you go for it. And if that means giving up a little more than you would like to for a starting pitcher that stabilizes things, That's the cost of doing business. It stinks. I wish it wasn't that expensive, but that's how it works in baseball. These teams are not giving up players when you're desperate for nothing. So that's where we're at with them. I don't think they would do both. I do not believe that the Cardinals, knowing this organization, would trade for both Max Scherzer and Kyle Gibson. I think it would be one or the other. But when we get somebody on, like Buster Olney, who's very plugged in, and he says it wouldn't be something that is impossible for them to do, I find that really interesting. So huge thanks to Buster Olney for hopping on with us today. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of bet it or forget it. on. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. We'll get to bet it or forget it here in just a second, Alex. Okay. What did I do? Marty, do you mind doing me a huge favor? 
Can you take this bed down for us? All the way. And then we've got another one that I would love to play. And if you could do me a favor and reread your sports update with this bed underneath it instead. I think it, I think it would go really well. Can we, can we get that sports update? Yeah, can we get that sports update one more time? Oh boy. Good afternoon, I'm Marty Jenks with your Dobbs Tire Auto Center Sports Center update. Let me keep going. The yeah, whole thing. All the way, the Marty. Six game slide ended last night as they handled the Indians eight to two at Bush. Adam Wainwright <laughs> came up big for the Cards as he went seven innings, allowing two runs and three hits. Tyler O'Neill blasted two home runs in the contest and had three RBI. Off day today for the Birds as they head up north for a three game set against the Cubs. That starts tomorrow at one twenty with Johan Oviedo going up against Kyle Hendricks. And now for your for your uh, for your departure, you say this is Marty Jenkins. All things considered, coming up next. This is Marty Jenkins. All things considered, coming up next. No, no, go, no, go, no, I'm Marty Jenkins, and that's your six o'clock news. Mar Marty, I I think you've had an NPR sound to you, and it's wonderful. I love it so much. I've been thinking it all week as I you're doing the updates. That, yeah. It's Marty, it's, if you would narrate like a a child story for me too, like I could play that on loop for my daughter at night, and it might help her also. I'll do that tomorrow. It's, it's a very amazing. soothing voice. Thank you. I love it so much six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service text line uh all right time for better to forget it better BK to just forget wanted, it bk just wanted to laugh apparently today uh, absolutely that's what i'm here for um better to forget it marty <laughs> jenkins would be a superstar at npr oh bet it i do love tiny desk i don't know if you ever watched i love it better to forget it marty jenkins is the best sports center update ever oh certainly better than certainly better than ferrario third just voice say on ferrario <laughs> Just say Ferrario. But he would remember Andy Dalton. Well, he also would remember his own name. So, <laughs> yikes. All Marty, right. God bless you to be able to do those sports center updates, man. There, there's a lot of pressure that goes in that. It's like hitting a softball is. home run in a home run derby. It's not easy to do. <laughs> it's very comparable. All right. Better to forget it. This comes from the 314. Vladimir Tarasenko gets exposed in the expansion draft this upcoming offseason. I guess this offseason. Boy, I feel like BK in this situation because I just want to sit on a fence here and I don't want to move. Welcome. It's very comfortable. Yes. Uh, no, well, that's not what I've heard. Um, anyway, I, on the one hand, I can see them exposing Vladimir Tarasenko because I don't expect Seattle to take a $7.5 million player for one year who's had three shoulder surgeries. They're going to want to go cheap, cost-controlled players who they can build off of. But on the flip side of that, what if they did? Jeremy made a great uh, Jeremy Rutherford made a great point in his article today. Do you really want to just lose a seven and a half million dollar player who can score 30, 35 goals for nothing? There's going to be trade value for Vladimir anywhere you try and trade him, regardless of his shoulder surgeries, because he's 29 years old. So the more I think about it, the more I would say, no, I would not leave him exposed because if I can trade him, I will to try and upgrade in another area. If I can't trade him, then I'm taking my chances of having a proven 30-goal scorer on my roster who hopefully is distant enough from his shoulder surgery. So I would say forget it that they leave him exposed. I don't think they're going to leave him exposed because I think there's too much risk the way you just described. Do I think that's the right move? I think that's up for debate. I, I think that there is a fair way to look at this from both angles, honestly. And this is where I, we go to BK sitting sit on, the on the fence once again. Yep. But... I do not think they're going to expose him, even if maybe that could be the right move because it's not just you lose Vladimir Tarasenko. You gain $7.5 million in cap space. And what could that mean for this team? Well, 
It could mean that you go out and acquire two players as opposed to one. You know, maybe that that opens up the space for you to be able to get a top line left winger and a second line left winger and your defenseman that we're looking for. Yeah. So instead of being able to make two of those three moves, now you can make all three. That's where things change a little bit. Here's the other thing that people need to consider, too. Like, if you expose Vladimir Tarasenko and he doesn't get taken, you're going to have a pissed off player. Yeah. And and I get people then trade him. Yeah, but then he's going to get to the point where nobody's going to want to give you what you feel is necessary for Vladimir Tarasenko because they know he wants out. So there's a lot of chess playing going on right now with Doug Armstrong and Vladimir Tarasenko. And I think the best case scenario is to keep him protected, try and move him. But if you can't, then you have a player who potentially could score you 35 goals in his. Remember, this is his contract year. He's an unrestricted free agent. He's 30 years old after uh, this upcoming season. Years. Two more. Oh, I thought it was next two year. Two more years. So you got two more years of Vladimir. So, but still, guy's going to be 29 years old. I just don't know if I would do that. So I still forget that. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. All right, guys, bet it or forget it. The Cardinals have multiple 30-plus home run hitters this season. Multiple 30-plus home run hitters this season. Multiple, yes. Nolan Arenado and Tyler O'Neill. Is that considered multiple yeah. or is that considered a couple? Because I know people are like, that's oh, that's multiple. only a couple. Yeah, more than one. What's Arenado at right now? He's at 11 home runs on the season. As of today, he's on pace for 28. Now, that could change. He's been in a bit of a dry spot. Especially when you get hot, you start hitting. I think Paul Goldschmidt can get there, too, but it's going to be a tough challenge because he's only at, what, seven right now? Yeah, he's pretty far behind. Yeah, so that would be tough for him to get there. I'll say bet it because I think Tyler Tyler O'Neill and Nolan Arenado can get there. Marty, you think they get multiple? 30-plus homer guys? I think you said it. Arenado's got to pick it up. Um, 11 right now worth. Third, we're more than a third of the way. I'm going to forget it, actually. I think it's just going to be O'Neal. It's going to be tough. I'm going to go ahead and have confidence in Nolan Arenado. I think he's going to find a way to get there, so I will bet it. And we knew that Nolan Arenado had a pretty good shot of being able to do this this season. The difference is we weren't sure that the Cardinals were going to have multiple guys that were going to be able to do it. This would be just the second time it's happened for the Cardinals since 2011. Wow. The only other time was Paul Goldschmidt and Paul DeYoung who did it in 2019 together. Um, but since 2011, they have not had any other season in which they've had multiple players at 30-plus homers in a season. I think you're going to have three that hit 25-plus. I think you're going to get Goldie right around that that number. So with Goldie at 25, Arenado at 30, and O'Neal might get to like 35 this year. <laughs> Think, is that crazy? What do you think Tommy Edmond hits this year? 15? Uh, 10 to 15. Somewhere around there. Dylan Carlson's been the disappointment for me in home runs. I thought there'd be more, but he's still been an, uh, an excellent hitter. He's going to be about a 15 homer guy. I thought he, I thought he'd be a 25 guy. This year? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was a little early for that. I think 15, 15 home runs in his first real season in the big leagues. That's a hell of a year, man. For a guy that's going to finish the year hitting in 275, 280. I want better. Okay. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, guys. The Cardinals make a deal for Max Scherzer before the deadline. Bet it or forget it. The Cardinals add Max Scherzer before the trade deadline. Forget it. I just don't see it happening. I I would like to have Gibson, uh, but I just don't think they pull the trigger on both of them. Or even Scherzer himself. I'm gonna I'm gonna bet it. My gut's telling me forget it, but I'm gonna bet it. I, I just think it, it it's it's aligned in the stars right now, right? Like I I don't I will not go Mr. 95 percent here. Say, are you feeling Although, the same way you did with Nolan? I do feel 95 percent sure that Max Scherzer will play for the Cardinals at some point in his career because he is a free agent. But I'm not gonna go there. 
it just feels like it's meant to happen. And right now, the Cardinals are so desperate for pitching. I feel like they would have pulled the trigger on something. It does feel like they're being patient. Be patient, right? It feels like they're waiting for that possibility to open up to where the Nationals say, okay, we're ready to move on from Max Scherzer, and then they give the Cardinals a call. So I'll say bet it. I'm going to bet it as well. I feel... Oh, no, great. No, he's not. It's because I cheered for him. I really think this comes down to KK's health. If KK is back next week, I think they're going to hold off on trading for a starter, even though I think that might be a mistake. And I think they'll acquire somebody big at the deadline, and Scherzer's the obvious answer. So I'll go ahead and bet it because I'm going to go on the optimistic side of, of things here with KK's health. and don't necessarily think that's the right idea. I would personally go with Kyle Gibson and then take my chances that you can also acquire Scherzer at the deadline, but I'm I'm going to go ahead and go with it. Uh, last one for you guys. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Better to forget it. The Vegas Golden Knights put an end to the series tonight, and this will be Gabriel Landeskog's final game with the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, I'm going to half bet it, half forget it, because I bet it that Vegas ends it tonight because you're going back to Vegas in front of a sold-out crowd momentum's everything and Vegas is one of the best home teams and they're feeling it right now. I'm forgetting it that it's the last time you see Gabriel Landeskog in an avalanche uniform. You think because they lose, I think because they lose, he comes back. I think that because they lose, Philip Grubauer won't be as expensive as a price. Um, And I think because they lose, Landeskog is going to think there's unfinished business. And I think he kind of signs like a couple of year deal maybe to stay there. Or maybe he goes one year deal to stay there and see if he gets it. And then goes into free agency as a 30-year-old. We got to get together Saturday night. Watch game seven in Denver, Alex. (laughs) You know what, Marty? I don't appreciate you trolling me on that one. Um, No, that would be cool, though, with that series. uh, Game seven would be phenomenal. But I, I just... For how Vegas plays, and I, I, I don't know if you guys have been to the Vegas Stadium, T-Mobile Arena or not. When I was there last January or two Januaries ago, I forgot it was so long ago. Like, I, I've been in Enterprise Center sold out in a game six of the Stanley Cup final, and it was incredible. A regular season game in January in Vegas felt like a playoff game. I can only imagine what a game six elimination game is going to feel like Especially against Avalanche. Up early. And if they score that first goal, like that, that is prime Marc-Andre Fleury territory to pitch a shutout. So I, I just don't see it going to game seven. But if it does, I think Colorado will have a chance to end it. So do you think that's most electric atmosphere in hockey hands down? Or? <sighs> yeah. I, I And I'm saying this as a Blues fan where I've been in a sold out stadium. I'm telling you, man, the way that they put on the pregame ceremony in Vegas, the way that they have the music tied in with the MC in the stadium. I think Seattle has a chance to be pretty special as well. Seattle's going to be intense, especially when they play games against the Vancouver Canucks. And I'd look, the Coliseum last night for the Islanders was intense. But man, there's just something about being in Vegas, having the the Vegas Cirque du Soleil-esque talent around you, a sold-out crowd. It's so loud in there. And I'll tell you, it's so cool when they walk out to the ice or come out to the ice because it's it's from the locker room. It's a hallway and it's just pure glass. So you just see these guys with the glass around them. It's intense, man. I would say it's probably the most electric atmosphere I've been around. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't hold a candle to Miami, but it's pretty good, I would say. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give the same answer as Alex did. I think that the Vegas Golden Knights win tonight, and I think Gabriel Landeskog is back with the Colorado Avalanche next year. I think that feels like the most likely outcome here. So... Of course, expect Colorado to win yeah, tonight. Gonna say, They're going to win in game seven. And Landis going to be a cup. blue next <laughs> year. Landis going to be a blue. This is how it works. You know what's real real quick? I know what's crazy about that is what if it is to where Landis Gog and Colorado part ways because of a loss and they say, hey, we can't get done with you. Maybe it's time to move on. 
could be a possibility that that happens also. Welcome to St. Louis, Gabriel Andescott. Can't wait to have you here. With Alex Ferrario and Marty Jenkins, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, speaking of the Blues and free agency, some anonymous executives gave a couple of interesting quotes about the Blues' potential free agents. We'll talk about that coming up at 1 o'clock. But coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Your comfort service text line from the 636. How appropriate that we went Blues days the day after the Bruins just got eliminated this year. That is true. The Blues and 101 ESPN are celebrating the two-year anniversary of the Blues' first Stanley Cup championship with We Went Blues Day. It's going to be on Saturday, June the 12th, so this upcoming Saturday. Two days after the Bruins were eliminated. Close, though. Close enough. The celebration is going to include a rebroadcast of Curbs and Joey's call of Game 7 in Boston beginning at noon. We Went Blues Day will also feature merchandise deals, a game-worn jersey auction, a virtual champions walk, and limited edition paintings. Much more. All available at 101ESPN.com. More details over there. We Went Blues Day is Saturday, June the 12th. All right, Alex, let's dive into the junk drawer. What do you have for us, man? All right, boys. So this one kind of gave me... uh kind of irked me when I was reading through it's another list for you and I saw it last night now how do you guys feel about public displays of affection does it bother you uh it doesn't most of the time it it depends what we're talking about here like a public so a public breakup can bother me sometimes if it gets a little aggressive or over the top I'm talking like public displays of affection like a married couple a dating couple like when they're out with people or they're out really doesn't really do really so like if a group of friends are in front of you they're just licking each other's tonsils at a dinner you're not you're not uncomfortable if I had kids it would make me uncomfortable really On my own, I don't care, man. See, that bothers the heck out of me. And there's, like, degrees of it. Like, I, I, like I'm like i okay with, you know, like, if you're holding hands or something, that's fine. But when you start, sure. like, making out, that's a little aggressive. So don't this is talk about me and Kara like that, man. Okay. Well, you shouldn't. <laughs> maybe you should focus on hitting softballs and stop making out at the softball home run derby next time. So there's a list out there, the top ten most annoying public displays of affection. Oh, I like it. So, when I'm going through this list, I want you to try to figure out, okay with it or bother you? Can I guess one that's on there? You can guess as many as you'd like. Let's I start with the guessing. Some somewhere on this list is the couples being in the booth together. I was just going to si- say that. Like sitting, sitting on each, each other's, other's lap or sitting next to one another. So it's sit- one of those two. So, sitting on each other's lap is number six on this one. Um... It doesn't the, the sitting in the booth next to each other isn't on this list, but that should be a honorable mention. That one, that one as a server, whenever I was serving tables, yes. I would see that and be like, "This is can, can you guys sit across from each other?" Katie and I <laughs> are always. Just, can you just go across from one <laughs> Every another? Every time Katie and I go out to dinner when we were dating or when we got married or when we were engaged, we're like, "Oh, do you want?" It's like, "Do not sit next to each other in the damn booth. Let's just sit across from each other so we can yeah. have conversations." So that one's on there. Any other guesses? Uh, I mean, making out in public, I would imagine, is somewhere on this list. Yeah, making out in public is number one on this yeah. list. Marty, any guesses? Uh, I, I, none right now. Okay, but that's Smacking number one. The butt. Smacking Touching each other's other butt, butt was on here. Yep, that's that's a weird one. Like, what do you that do that sense. in public for? Okay, number ten on this list: staring at them too much or looking deeply into each other's eyes. So like that if you're bother me. if you're out in public if you're bothered by that like come on guys it's weird though if you're just staring at each other and not talking and it's it's weird but I guess that's not as bad that's not on the lower level of extreme a peck on the lips that doesn't bother me normal kiss out in public that's fine proposing in public 
One in four people said watching that makes them uncomfortable. Well, then grow up. I'm surprised by that. Because I proposed out in public. I proposed at a uh, at a park here yeah, in St. Louis. And there I were people around. I did it at around. columns at, at Mizzou. I just did it because I wanted people to applaud. And if she said no, then it's like, okay, well, there's witnesses around here, so <laughs> yeah. it doesn't have to be as weird. Okay, so that's eight on this what list. Using pet names like Honey or Pookie. Ooh. That one, that one gives me the goosebumps. I just want to punch something when I hear that. Same with Babe. Yes, Baby. See, Babe Sweetie. doesn't do it too much. Pookie. Pookie. <laughs> Sweetheart, like there's. It actually <laughs> bothers me when a when a waiter or a waitress, well, I, guess, I guess it would be a waitress, calls me honey. Yeah, like, I'm good. I'm like, not would your you honey. Like, would you like would you like something else, sweetheart? I'm not your sweetheart. Let's let's move on here. Okay, so pet names. One person sitting pet on each names other's is lap. The, the number one thing that you've said so far that would bother okay, me. Okay, we'll just wait a little bit because it gets weird. Touching sitting the butt on each we have. Lap we holding got. hands, I'm fine with. Putting your hand or arm on their shoulder, fine with. This is the one right here. Talking to each other in baby voices. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I heard that, and I can only think of a group of friends that we went out with back in college that the entire time they fed each other and talked to each other in baby voices. See, I assume that the person that calls their significant other Pookie Talks is also them. doing it in a baby voice. Like, I just kind of put those two together. I assumed that that went hand in hand. That should be number one. Yeah. Yeah. That, it, well, making out was number one. And I, making that's out. That's kind of gross. That's a little unnecessary. I'd put that at number one, but close number two. Like, they nailed it with talking in baby voices because that one is just so weird. BK, you talk. BK, you talk in baby voices to Kara when you're out in public, don't no. you? No. I think you do. I talk in baby voices to my dog. I find myself doing <laughs> it, and I like. I wish that I didn't. It's, it's, it's a character flaw, frankly. Um, but that's another topic for another topic. yeah, that's yeah. Do you guys not do that? Um, I do. Yeah, you can't help yourself. I wish that it's I did. It's weird. You do it. I do it with my small dog, but my big dog, I don't. That's a good point. Like your your tiny, like my four pound little Shorty that I have at home, we talk to in a baby voice. But then the big dog, it's like, yeah, you're seventy pounds. We don't do that. But once the baby comes into your life, then it's weird to talk to the baby and the dog in the same voice. So you gotta like change the voices up, you know. What's your go-to with the baby? Oh, straight baby voice. Really? Oh, yeah. I Don't do they the, say not to do that? I do the pookie honey voice with my baby. It's amazing. <laughs> I never heard not to do that. Yeah, who says not to do that? I don't know. I heard that once, and I I, I just you ran with it. I'm Stop. sure it said it somewhere on the internet. You know what? Stop giving me parenting advice, BK. Jeez. Uh, again, character fly. I've got a lot of them. I'm sorry, Alex. <laughs> with Alex Ferrari and Marty like Jenkins, I'm Brandon Kylie. Anthony should do a whole show in a baby voice. That'd be a good bet-losing punishment. I'd oh, be fine no. with that. People would be turning off the radio so Anthony's quickly, got man. a baby voice. Does he do a baby voice, you think? I don't think he does. You don't think so? Anthony came out of the womb with a glass of whiskey and a cigar in his mouth. Yeah, so I don't think true. he's doing a whole lot of baby voices. Yeah, and I know Jamie Rivers ain't doing any baby voices. Or Brad Thompson. I feel like of the three, Jamie would be the most likely. Really? Yeah. I don't agree with that at all. Out of the three, Jamie Rivers is the one that I think is going to talk in like a shouting voice 24-7. No, Jamie's... Jamie's, Jamie's a sweetheart. A teddy bear. Jamie's a sweetheart, but I just don't see him doing baby voices. Now he could kick my ass. He's a teddy bear. Well, that and can he beat will also. Me. You probably should watch down the hallway now that you called him out for for being the one that would talk in a baby voice out of all of them. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line from the three one four. Guys, don't hate on the voice you talk with your dog with. Talking to your dog always requires a different. Well, yeah, voice. you got to give I your agree. dog a different voice. I agree. You know, yeah, got to give the dog a different voice. Coming up next. 
anonymous executives have sounded off on a couple of the Blues' potential free agents. What do they say about Vince Dunn and Mike Hoffman? We'll tell you next on 101 ESPN. Or forget it, but... So what? Free agency is right around the corner for the NHL, and we're starting to get some potential fits for players based on, you know, the anonymous sources that come out in these articles. The Athletic had a really good one earlier today. Scott Burnside was the writer of this piece, and he went through a bunch of pending free agents, got some quotes from executives and people from around the league on potential free agents. Two of them on this list were Blues, Vince Dunn and Mike Hoffman. Alex, I wanted to read these to you and get your response whenever you hear what these um, sources told Scott Burnside over in The Athletic. On Vince Dunn, they said, quote, I don't see a fit for him in St. Louis. There will be more teams that are interested in Dunn's attributes as skating and defense. He's an analytics darling, according to the source. Um, And then Scott Burnside added that pending what happens with Dougie Hamilton, the source suggested that Carolina could be a landing spot for Vince Dunn. He also said that it is possible that the Blues could sign Dunn and then deal him to another team as well. Yeah, um, I think they're right, too, with not seeing a fit with the Blues because, I mean, first of all, you know what your top four looks like. Right now, as it sits, it's Marco Scandella, Tori Krug, Justin Falk, and Colton Pareko. Vince Dunn may have shown signs of being better than one of those guys, but at the end of the day, one, they're paid better than Vince Dunn will be, and two, I do think they're better players than Vince Dunn on this Blues team. So does Vince Dunn slot in as a third pairing? Right now, I think Jake Wallman has played better than Vince Dunn this season. Nico Mikula definitely did. And then you got Scott Perunovich on top of it. So I just don't know if it makes sense to bring back Vince Dunn. Oh, and you're also looking at trying to get bigger and nastier on your blue line this season. So Vince Dunn makes a lot of sense as a trade piece for the Blues. I could see them exposing him in the draft to make sure that they could keep Ivan Barbashev if he is exposed. Oh, I think there's no doubt he'll be exposed. Or traded beforehand. I Dunn? think it has to be one of the two. Yeah, or yeah, that's it. I wonder if they try and sign him as a restricted free agent because he does have arbitration rights this year. I wonder if they sign him, trade him, kind of like what they did with Joel Edmondson. But I do think the stock for Vince Dunn will be interesting. There will be a lot of teams that want a Vince Dunn on their roster. He's the guy that can help replenish your farm system as well a little bit. You know, like you could get a decent a decent amount for Vince Dunn. He's the guy who could get a top left winger for you. It, you think you could get that much? If he's in a package with another okay. player. Not just him, but he's a guy who he's going to help get a left wing. If you have him available to get a left winger to play on that top line or to get depth pieces, I think Dunn's more likely to help you get a Matthew Kachuk, Jack Eichel, whomever that may be. Seems would be interested in him coming in, being he's a restricted free agent. He's player. cheap, he's young, and yeah, he's a top four on another team. He's a really interesting player to me. He's also 24 years old, yeah. and that's one of the reasons why these rebuilding teams that are potentially selling off their pieces, they would be interested in him as well. There was also this from a source to Scott Burnside on Mike Hoffman. He said, quote, He's a good player on a bad team, in my opinion. They suggested that Arizona and Buffalo could be good offseason fits for him or, quote, literally any team that is looking to boost their power play after his 17 power play points during the regular season. uh, He is, quote, not a bad guy. I think there will be suitors for him out there. I, I get where they're coming from to where he was a good player on a bad team, but I don't think he was a good player on a bad team. I think he was a good player on a team that just didn't know how to utilize him. And to that, specify, what they're saying is 
he's a guy that makes more sense on a bad team. Gotcha. I thought they meant he was he was a, a guy who team. overperformed on a team that underperformed mm-hmm. this season. But look, uh, I could see a scenario where Doug Armstrong says we need Mike Hoffman back, especially if you don't bring back Vladimir Tarasenko or you move on from Vladimir Tarasenko. He's a guy who could play on the second wing for you, left or right. He's a guy who helps your power play, and no question was the reason that your power play was top five in the league at the end of the season. The problem for Mike Hoffman is he is an Eastern Conference player. He's a guy who who raised, plays the run-and-gun style. He's not going to forecheck. He's not going to be heavy. He's going to get the puck. He's going to cherry-pick. He's going to find ways to shoot, and that's it. I think he's useful on this team, but I don't think for $6 million, which is what the free agent market's probably going to offer him, I don't know if he matches that. I mean, he scored 17 goals in 52 games this season, where in a normal season, you're looking at probably close to 25-30 goal score. There were a couple other names on this list, non-Blues related, that I wanted to get your thoughts on, Alex. Uh, one guy that immediately kind of stood out to me, I, I honestly forgot that he was a free agent this upcoming offseason, was Alec Martinez, the defenseman for yeah. the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. He's 33 years old, he'll be 34 next season, so he's getting up there when it comes to his age, but he's got a little bit of size. He has shown that he can be a quality defenseman on a really good team, and he's a lefty. Is he somebody that maybe we should be talking a little bit more about as a potential option for the Blues? Again, this would, kind of similar to the Landeskog discussion, it would be in part because the Golden Knights don't have a ton of cap space to be able right. to throw at him if he ends up going to the open market. I definitely think he should be something that people are talking about. You know, he reminds me a lot of, and he's not going to be anywhere near as good as Jay Bomeister was, but he reminds me a lot of when the Blues got Jay Bomeister from Calgary. He was a guy who was kind of past his prime, but he was still going to be a very useful player. I think the Blues acquired Jay Bomeister when he was 31, 32 years old. And look, Alec Martinez is going to be 34, 34. next season, but he's not going to cost a lot. I don't see him commanding four, five, six million dollars this season. I think in the article, the the general manager had predicted maybe a two-year, five million dollar contract. Yeah. That's about what Marco Scandella is making. Although Scandella's got a little more years on well, his term, I think it's five million dollars per season, is what he's saying. Oh, I thought they so said two and mi- ten. Oh, that's going to be too much. Then I think if you could get a Marco or an Alec Martinez for three or four million dollars, I think he is an upgrade over a Marco Scandella solely because he's a little bit more physical in his own zone, but he's also got that offensive prowess. I would still go Jamie Alexiak as my number one option, but look, the the hard part about that is you have to find a way to clear some cap space on the defensive side because you're not going to bring somebody in like a Martinez or an Alexiak to play on your third pairing. You want them on them second pairing, and I don't know if you're going to do that for how much they would cost. Was there anybody else on this list that stood out to you, Alex, as as potential options for the Blues? They did mention Sam Bennett. He's center, um, but maybe he would be of interest to the Blues. Is there anybody else that kind of stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, Sam Bennett, I, he's a guy that really didn't have much success in Calgary, and then he was traded to Florida, and, I mean, didn't have much success with the Florida Panthers. I don't know if there's anybody that makes sense on that list. I, I mean, there's a couple of guys. I mean, Corey Perry was a guy that you brought up a number of times last year. Corey but Perry would be awesome, but the problem is Kyle Clifford was your Corey Perry. Yeah. You're not going to bring in another guy to play on the fourth line that's slow, right? Like, Kyle Clifford was the guy you brought in. Corey Perry was the one that I think would have made sense. You know who's one that I didn't even think of, which would be really interesting if it happens, is David Krejci from Boston. Now, look, this is a guy who, 35 years old, he's going to be 36 this upcoming season, wasn't overwhelming this year with Boston at 44 points in 51 games, which is pretty damn good. Makes $7.25 million. He's not going to get that because he's 35 years old. 
Does Boston try and bring him back? I don't know. But David Krejci would be a really interesting fit for the Blues if Tyler Bozak doesn't come back on your third-line center because this is a guy who scores goals. He helps on the power play. He's really good on the penalty kill. He's been in the Selkie Trophy conversation in the past along with Patrice Bergeron. He would be somebody that if I'm Doug Armstrong, I'm looking for that top help, but I also want some experience on that bottom. And you got the connection with Tory Krug, who played with him in Boston. I think he would want to be back in Boston, though, right? He spent his entire career yeah, there. Yeah, but remember, Boston's going to want Taylor Hall. And Taylor Good Hall point. is going to be expensive. And I, I, maybe Taylor Hall helped himself a lot this year. He really did. I mean, he, got he, played over in the, he played impressive with the playoffs. And I don't think he's going to get $8 million. But, uh, again, Krejci's 35 years old. Maybe you bring him back, but I think the priority for them is going to help defensively and re-sign Taylor Hall. So Krejci might be on the outside looking in. And, look, you want Stanley Cup experience. You want a penalty killer. He, Krejci reminds me a lot of Tyler Bozak, but Krejci can provide a little bit more offense. Do you think Taylor Hall could be of interest to the Blues? I think he's going to be back with Boston. Let's say that out on the front end. It's kind of the same discussion that we've been having about Landeskog, where it's if he doesn't return for whatever reason, cap issues, whatever, maybe he could be an option for the Blues. You think Taylor Hall is that way? We've we've known that there's been some interest in the past from uh, Doug Armstrong. I think there's 100% interest, and I think even Curbs mentioned it yesterday with when he was with us on, on the on the BK and Ferrario, and he mentioned Taylor Hall's name if he does become a free agent. The problem with Taylor Hall is he might be commanding a lot of money, and I'm not paying him $8 million to underperform on my team. If I can get Taylor Hall for $5 million, $6 million, maybe – but winning just doesn't follow Taylor Hall. I want a guy where winning follows him. And I know a lot of these guys that you're going for obviously won't be winning because they're not going to be moved from a team that, that has winning success. But, you know, we've talked about Matthew Kachuk. We've talked about Gabriel Landeskog. Jack Eichel doesn't fall into that category, but he's a superstar. Taylor Hall would be great, but I think Taylor Hall might be expensive for what he offers. I would rather be shooting for superstar status of guys who have had success and guys who match the blue style rather than go for another kind of run and gun. Taylor Hall's a lot like Mike Hoffman to me. And I, I want a guy who goes to the net rather than a guy who kind of plays the run and gun style, That's if that fair. makes sense. With Alex Ferrario and Marty Jenkins, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get into the Ferrario five for today. The five most hated teams in St. Louis. I feel like a certain Boston team. Very well may oh make God. an appearance Felt on that list. so good last night. We'll get into that coming up in 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, how much credit does John Mosaloc deserve for sticking with Tyler O'Neill when I can't speak for all of you? I know for me, I was ready to give up on him. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. These young position players that they have tried to develop, they got to click. There's got to be one of them that, that becomes the wingman to the middle of the order with Goldschmidt and Arenado. It looks like Tyler O'Neill's become that guy. Special talent. Only 25. You guys have talked about him. His speed to me is a difference maker. I mean, he had a throw, uh, I think it was Friday night, from left field. He got a cannon for an arm, and uh, it was a play at the plate, bang, bang, but the throw was on the money, and the glove that popped out of Molina's glove. He, he, he can do it all, and, and that to me is something the Cardinals have been missing, is that next guy. I think they might have found one in Tyler O'Neill. Hey that was now. Greg Amsinger earlier today on Carriker and Smallman with Danny Mack and Randy Carriker with Alex Ferrario and Marty Jenkins. I'm Brandon Kylie. Over the last month, it's 19 games for Tyler O'Neill. He has six doubles, nine home runs, 20 RBI, and 16 runs. It's an unbelievable month that he's putting together. Now, this is a small sample size. It is. And we need to acknowledge that on the front end. So we just got a text a minute ago 
guys, let's slow down on putting Tyler O'Neill in the Hall of Fame. It's a good month. Nobody put him in the Hall of Fame yet. Not yet. I'm Just, sure there's going to be something yeah, from the stretch, though, that week. deserves to go in. Um, Tyler O'Neill is a guy that has proven me wrong, though. I didn't think he had this in him. I remember at the end of last season, I was saying, hey, it might be time to move on from Tyler O'Neill because I just don't think it's going to click for him. And now this year, among outfielders with at least 150 plate appearances, Alex, he's fourth in home runs. Yeah, He's first in slugging percentage, fourth in OPS plus, which adjusts for your ballpark that you're playing in. And he's 11th in wins above replacement, despite the fact that he's missed a decent amount of time. And that's a counting statistic. That's kind of like home runs where he's fourth this year. He has been incredible so far this season when healthy. And I think it is time for as much as we have talked about the losses, the failures that the Cardinals have had with their outfields. And there's been a few of them, certainly. I think it's time to give John Mosellock some credit for sticking with Tyler O'Neill as long as he did and for ke- keeping the faith, despite the fact that it would have been very easy for this team to want to move on after the difficult season that he had a year ago. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think John Mosellock deserves credit. Now, look, you... You missed out on some good talent that you gave up, no question. But I truly believe, and a lot of people blame Harrison Bader for John Mozeliak making those moves, saying, oh, well, they moved on because they thought Bader was great. No, I think he moved on from those guys because he knew what they had in Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson. And maybe some of this is pure luck that they, they ran into this. Maybe they didn't expect this from Tyler O'Neill. But you look at what Adolis Garcia is doing right now. You look at what Randy Rosarena is doing right now. And you comp those to what Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill is doing. Look. Adolis Garcia has been impressive this year with the home runs, but I'd argue so has Tyler O'Neill in the short amount of time that he has played, especially in the streak he's been where he's hit the home runs basically every other game. You look at what Randy Orozarena is doing this season. Maybe not as many home runs as he had in the playoffs to where he turned into Babe Ruth, but Dylan Carlson has been the better player this year. Dylan Carlson has been the better defender. Dylan Carlson has been better contact hitter. And frankly, you needed a guy who could hit in the number two spot. And I think Dylan Carlson has been superb at that. So as much as we give John Mosellock crap for getting rid of those guys, Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson were who they were, who we thought we were, right? And we let them off. We the let hook. them off the hook. Over the last couple of weeks, by the way, Dallas Garcia has gotten very cold. He has he has slowed down a ton, and so that that might have just been a shooting star. That holy cow! Look, did you just see what happened? And he had a he had an unbelievable month. That might be the way we look back at this month for Tyler O'Neill too. By the way, as Katy Perry once said, "You're hot, then you're cold." It happens, especially for power hitters. But there are some real adjustments that have taken place here. What Tyler O'Neill is doing this year that is different is he's hitting breaking balls. Last night, he hit his eighth home run off of a breaking ball. Only Vlad Guerrero Jr. and J.D. Martinez have more than that off of breaking balls so far this year. He's third in baseball and homers off of breaking balls. You told me that a year, two years ago. I would have told you you're crazy. There's no way that happens because he strikes out on the slider every time. Now it's what he's having a bunch of his success against. And Alex, it reminded me of a conversation that we had with Torrey Hunter before the season. And Torrey Hunter, who's borderline Hall of Fame player, had a lot of struggles early on in his career. And so we asked him, you know, what changed for you? How did it click? What went into that moment for you? Here's what Torrey Hunter told us before the regular season. So I listened to the third base coach, the first base coach, the pitch pitching coach, <laughs> uh, the radio guy. I listened to so many guys because I did not want to be uncoachable. And I, I, tried, I tried everything as well. I went out there on the field when I heard something. I said, man, that sounds good. And I go try it. 
it might work for a minute, then it goes away. Uh, so it wasn't until I got sent down in 2000 after being in the big leagues up off and on for three years, I got sent down in 2000 and I just said, forget it, man. I'm, I'm about to use my God given ability, speed ball and hit ball. And it worked out for me. Tyler O'Neill right now is at that same point in his career. He's been up and down now for the last three seasons in the big leagues. He's 26 years old. He knew this is probably his make or break season with the Cardinals. And I think he had a similar moment to what you just heard there from Torrey Hunter, where he says to himself, you know what, if I'm going to fail, I'm going to do it my way. If I'm going to fail, I'm not going down with the swing, the third base coach, the first base coach, the guy that's sitting up there in row 14 seat D. I'm not listening to what their advice is for me. guys, I felt like a personal attack, Tori. (laughs) I'm listening to myself. I'm going to go down the way that I have always played. And I think we're starting to see that that has, there's a certain confidence that comes from that bleep it attitude. I'm doing it my way. And if it fails, it fails. Like Frank Sinatra. And Tyler O'Neill has finally reached that status, that point in his career where at 25, 26 years old, he is putting together what very well could be a breakout season for him. Uh, and I hope it is. Now, uh, look, of course, everyone is texting and saying, oh, you're BKOing him and he's going to fall off. It's only been a month. Maybe that happens. But it's all about adjustments, right? Like I referenced in the beginning of the show, Ricky Horton's comments about Tyler O'Neill's at bat last night where he did a check swing on a breaking ball on the outside. He last year swinging through that. The first year he's swinging through that. He's made adjustments, and he even said it, talking about how it felt like it was information overload, where it was making sure all the analytics matched up. And he's understanding that side of it now because you've been in the bigs long enough to where you're starting to understand how to break those things down. But I do think it has become Tyler O'Neill's trying to be Tyler O'Neill. what made him successful in the minors, what made him successful when he was in the Seattle Mariners organization. So I think now it's turned into a little bit of, okay, I got the analytics sides down to know what pitches are my good pitches. But on the other side, he's using the eye test, the Jamie Rivers style, the eye test at the plate. And I think that's where those check swings are coming in at. That's where those adjustments have been made. So even if he goes into a slump, you expect him to break out of it because of the strides he's made forward this season. You know who he reminds me of? And I want to be very clear here. I'm talking about the playing style. I'm not talking about the overall production because I don't think that Tyler O'Neill is going to win an MVP in his career. Although at this point, what, why even try to tamp this down? He's been unbelievable this year. His playing style reminds me a little bit of Bryce Harper. You yeah. remember early in Bryce Harper's career where the, the, the conversation around him was, man, he, this dude's going to get himself hurt if he keeps playing as with a, as much reckless abandon as he does. He was flying into the wall. He was uh, robbing home runs from guys. He was swinging for the fences all the time. Like He was the most fun player in the sport, for me at least, to watch because of the way he played. There's some of that in what we're watching right now from Tyler O'Neill as well. The sliding catches that we were seeing regularly. Remember the other night where he slid into the wall? Yeah. I thought he hurt himself. I thought there was no doubt, no way that he was going to be able to get up from that. He did, but the the home run trot is a part of his personality. Uh, doing everything for the boys. The post-game press conferences with Tyler O'Neill have been incredibly entertaining. Like All of this stuff is just kind of building into what is the Tyler O'Neill experience right now. And it does, in some ways, remind me of what it was like early on in Bryce Harper's career to watch him with Washington. Yeah, and 
you could only hope he gets to that status, but you're right. I, I mean, and I don't think he's ever going to be no. an MVP the way that Harper was, especially 2015. I mean, he hit 40 bombs yeah. and had an OPS over 1,000. And I'm I don't not think he will that. because Tyler O'Neill, although it's hard to just to go against him not being a contact hitter because, I mean, he has been picking up doubles. He's been getting on base more than just the home runs. What did I say? Since his return in May 16th or something like mm-hmm. that, he's gone game without a hit once. But it, it, as long as – it seems to be he's coming to the plate, too, with that power approach early, and if he doesn't connect, then he starts to work the count a little bit more, right? Like he's never going to be a walks guy, which Bryce Harper, Harper was never a walks guy. I mean that, but – Well, maybe Tyler O'Neill becomes into that, too, you know? I, I mean, I know we shoot it down fast and say he's never going to become an MVP, but, I mean, look, if the guy hits 35, 40 home runs in a season, you're always in that conversation. And, frankly, he's close to that right now. I don't know what That's he's right. on pace for, but I'd say he's probably on pace for about 35, 36 home runs. Yeah, it, it's it's tough to say just because he's missed so many games, and so the pace kind of messes right. up with that. But but anytime you hit those numbers, you're going to be in the MVP conversation. I don't care if, you're, yep. if your walks are down or your OPS stinks. Like, if you hit 35 home runs, you're in the conversation. I'll tell you this, based on his last 16 games, he's on pace for 82 home runs. So, and so if that, you don't think that's an MVP level, then you don't understand MVP. He has a 16-game on-base streak. If I told you before the season that he would have any streak like that, you'd be like, whoa, what? How'd that happen for Tyler yeah, when did he turn into Randy Rosarena? Because you assume at some point, okay, there's going to be the three-strikeout game where he doesn't get the hit, right? He goes 0 for 5 with three strikeouts and a couple of line drive outs. He just hasn't had that. He's had the strikeouts, don't get me wrong. There's been plenty of those. He's striking out at the highest rate of his career right now, but it's come with also the hardest contact that he's ever made since getting up to the big leagues. I I do want to see how he adjusts when he gets into a slump. That's the part that I always like to judge players Mm -hmm. on is like when you get into a rut, how do you come out of it? Does it take you three months or does it take you a couple of weeks? Because right now Dylan Carlson's in a little bit of a rut. How does he come out of it? We've seen it from other players. If it happens to Tyler, I'd like to see it. I would love to see it as well, and I hope that we don't see it until next year. With Alex Ferrario, Marty Jenkins, (sighs) I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll cross things over with the fast lane. Coming up next, though, it's time for our Ferrario 5, the five most hated teams in St. Louis. This will be easy. Yeah, it might have happened because of what happened with Boston and the Bruins last night. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. time for our latest edition of the Ferrario 5. The Boston Bruins lost last night, and on Twitter, all I saw were a bunch of crying emojis from Blues fans. Of Brad Marchand, and it felt so... Man, I had that tweet readied in the second period, waiting for Boston to lose. And you know what made it even better? I'm not a huge fan of David Portnoy, which I know a lot of people might sure. be, might not be a Barstool Sports, but they're huge Boston Bruins fans. He put a tweet out before the game, and it was like a 60-second video of him saying, it's obvious the Boston Bruins are going to be winning this one and go to Game 7. They're not winning just Game 7. They're going all the way to the Cup. And then they lost, and it felt so good to see. So I had that tweet ready to go by the time that that final buzzer So hit. not a whole lot of love lost between St. Louis and Boston, as you can probably imagine. So I was like, you know what, Alex? I'm curious. Who do you think are the five most hated teams in St. Louis? So that is our Ferrario 5 today. Alex, let's begin with your countdown All from right. number five. Ferrario 5, baby. Marty, hit the open. That's <laughs> not a bad open. I mean, maybe we can find a way to put Mike Schilt into this one. So look, number five actually was the hardest one for me to come up with because there were like four or five teams Should that... Should start at one then and then go to five? Yeah, let's Would do that. that. Let's do that. Cool. Let's start at number one. Number one is easy for me, Boston Bruins. 
Uh, yeah, number one. And I know you both just looked at me, and I'm assuming you were expecting the Cubs to be there. Yeah. I don't think the Cubs are there. I think the Bruins are there mostly because every – it's interesting when it comes to hated teams because, like, the Cubs you see all the time and you hate them. But the Bruins you don't even play that much. But because of just the way that the team is built up, because of the way Brad Marchand is, because of the way Bruce Cassidy is, it has built so much hatred towards Boston sports. That's interesting. Do you think that will sustain? Because obviously all of that comes from the Cup. Mm-hmm. I think it's Does that continue over the next, like, 10 years from now? Are we still going to be saying the same thing? Because I, th- I think at one time we were talking about something similar with the Giants for the Cardinals uh-huh. or the Reds. Like, I think some of these things are cyclical, and that's why I would say the Cubs are number one on my list because that's not cyclical. Cubs were number two on my list just because... Like, I don't e- I'm not even t- positive that the Bruins would be number one for me in the NHL. Really? Yeah. And maybe it's just me. And maybe a lot of people are different with this. But, like, the 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 sight of the Boston Bruins logo just irks me. And see, maybe it is because I'm from the Cubs hockey. Cubs one, I would even go Blackhawks two. No, over. see, I didn't. I, I, there's more hatred towards the Bruins than the Blackhawks, in my opinion. I frankly, Blackhawks as well. Frankly, because of that game. And, again, look, it's individual hatred, right? Like, my list is going to be different than everyone's sure, list yeah. because of hatred. But as soon as they lost last night, there was something in me that wanted to just do, like, a gronk spike because I was so happy. And you weren't alone. All of St. Louis, I think, was right there with yeah, you. Yeah, I had, like, 100 people, like, comment on the thing last night. It was ridiculous. So number two was the Cubs because the Cubs, it's the site. I think it's the, it's the friendly hatred, though. Like, you know, because you like watching them play each other, but it's that friendly hatred that goes into those games. So I had the Cubs at number two, and I think that's pretty simple. I put the... Blackhawks at number three because of Jonathan it's with with hatred too it comes with the players right like the Cubs you think of Chris Bryant Boston you think of Brad Marchand the Blackhawks have to have the most players that you hate in that group because it's Taves it's Kane it's Seabrook it's Duncan Keith everybody that goes into that Uh, I put the Nashville Predators at number four wow yeah And, and again maybe this list is just it's more hockey centric towards I actually, so I, I put down my list. I was curious what you yeah. were going to go with. And the majority of the teams that I had on my list were NHL teams that could potentially be within the top five. I don't know if that says something about the sport or the rivalries within it. It might be. I just don't think there's a whole lot of rivalries for the Cardinals right now. That's the thing. And that's a big part and of it. And that's this. why number five was so hard for me because my fifth team, I, I thought about the Boston Red Sox. I thought about the New England Patriots. But the one I came down to might just be a recency, and I think it is a budding rivalry. It's the Cincinnati Reds. See, I would go with the Rams. I think the Rams have to be top five. I thought about that, but it seems like a majority of people have just moved on. I think they're hated, though. I think a lot of people, you're right, have moved on. I don't think it's the Rams that are hated. hated. I think it's Stan Kroenke that's hated. But they're an extension of I get it. Maybe that's right. I don't know. I I think it's more But you went with the Patriots? No, I went with the Reds. The Reds? I Because I, I really think that's turning into something. Because you think of the players that are there, Castellanos, Amir Garrett, Joey Votto. Like it's, a, it's a team that's turning into a team that kind of falls into the same category. It won't be the historic of the Chicago Blackhawks or the Chicago Cubs, but it's kind of falling into that Colorado Avalanche, Boston Bruins territory yeah. for me. I would go Cubs, Blackhawks, Rams as my top three. From there, I think there are some arguments. I think you could include the Predators, uh, the Bruins, the Patriots, 
There was once upon a time where the Red Wings would have been involved in that, but yeah, I, I don't someone think someone just texted in anymore. the Red Wings. That that's gone because they're not in the conference anymore and they're not elite. I think once that goes away, they're not elite anymore. Like that's not the rivalry that the Chicago Cubs are to where like when they stink, you still hate them. See, that's why I think my top three with a bullet would be Cubs, Blackhawks, Rams because I don't think those are cyclical. I think people will uh, there is a there's a rivalry inherently between Chicago and St. Louis just as cities and that extends to the sports teams. So Cubs, Blackhawks, it's always there. Anytime they play against the Blues or the Cards, it's going to be a rivalry. And the same thing is true of the Rams now. There's just always going to be a hatred in the hearts and minds of St. Louisans because of what happened with the Rams here in St. Louis. Maybe the Bruins is number one. Maybe I should just change that to Boston sports, right? That's fair. Like, if it wasn't the Bruins and I just said Boston teams, I think a lot of people would have that as their number one. Because you're thinking the Red Sox, you're thinking the Bruins, and you're thinking the New England Patriots. I mean, if I were to just say Boston sports, would that trump the Chicago Let's do Cubs? This. this actually might even be a better list. The cities? Are the, what are the cities that are the most hated here in St. Louis? Because I think Chicago's number one, Boston, Boston would two. be number two. I think Colorado would be number three, solely from Stan Kroenke. I would go LA. I would go LA. Over Colorado, really? Mm-hmm. Can I drop this on you real quick? Because I have the Cubs as number one, but I'm over here making corrections because I just did this a few minutes ago. Rams two, Reds, Hawks, Bruins. I don't know the order from three to five, but I'm sitting here thinking, what about the Illini and Jayhawks? See, that's the thing. Depending on if you're a fan of Mizzou, yeah. if you're a Mizzou fan, then yeah, KU would definitely be on that list. If you're an Illinois s- fan, maybe Mizzou would be on that list. I think list. that's a small group, too. Like I think that's a small... It's just so segmented. It, yeah, it's a small percentage of areas that, that get that into college sports that are like despise the fighting Illini or the Kansas Jayhawks. So if we did that, if we did the city one, I think I think we got Chicago one. I think we got Boston, Boston two. Boston would be number two, yeah. I'd probably go LA three. Uh, see, see, I would go Boston, Chicago, and then I'd probably put Colorado at number three. Interesting. And I, I'd probably have – see, I can't put Nashville because Nashville doesn't have much. But I think – Is Kansas City up there? Nobody cares about the Royals. I get that. And nobody but, cares really about the Chiefs, I think. I don't know. I think there's some – I think they just hate you. Well, I think there's a lot of Chiefs fans here. That's fair. That's fair. Sorry, BK. I, I, I said that in my head, and I was like, probably shouldn't say that out loud, and then it just fell out. I think there is a there is a rivalry between – there's a little brother syndrome of Kansas City, like yeah. towards St. Louis. Kansas City has a little brother syndrome towards St. Louis, so I think there's a little bit of that there, the barbecue thing. The cities are hard. I think you can only get three of them, and then I think from there it goes to individual teams, right? Because, like, I don't know how many people hate Nashville other than the Predators. I think there's a little bit of you that. You think so? Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many people Especially would... because it's kind of considered to be an up-and-coming city, and I think there are people that view it as like, come on, and St. Louis can said, be that. I mean, I, someone said the Bay Area, so like San Francisco. I don't know. I think it would be more Los Angeles than San Francisco, in my opinion, if I'm I going agree. to California team, because you think the Kings, the Dodgers, but I, it, it's hard for me to put them into the same category as Boston and Chicago, because like when I think of those two teams... My blood starts to boil. What about Springfield, Illinois? <laughs> I mean, that's Six, true. Five, seven, eight, oh, the air comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, Kansas City just like St. Louis. No one in St. Louis cares about Kansas City. There's definitely some truth to that. Um, I think Kansas City cares about that rivalry a hell of a lot more than St. Louis cares about the rivalry in return. Yeah. I, can, I, I know that's definitely true. Um, yeah. I, you see that? I think it is. It's Chicago. It's Boston, and then I think it's L.A. If you want to throw Denver in there, you could throw Denver in there. But I think it really is. It's it's basically three. 
Um, it, it's the three cities that are the rivalries here in St. Yeah. Louis right now. Yeah. With Alex Ferrario, Marty Jenkins, I'm Brandon Kylie. Hey, we've got something really cool going on next week. Next Wednesday, June 16th, is Dunctionary Day on the Bud Deck at the Budweiser Brewhouse in Ballpark Village. It's the Cardinals versus the Marlins. The game is almost secondary for this. It's going to be a celebration of our guy, Chris Duncan. Join us out at the Bud Deck to enjoy the game with views looking right into Bush Stadium. We've still got a few reserved tables. Holds up to four people. They're available for purchase right now at 101ESPN.com. Plus, a portion of every table purchased is being donated to the Chris Duncan Memorial Scholarship Fund. We'll be out there broadcasting live. Tanner Hendrickson will be out there Hey-o, with us. T-Bone. And then the Fastlane will be out there from 2 to 6 as well. So an awesome day. Can't wait for it. That is next Wednesday out at the Bud Deck at the Budweiser Brewhouse in Ballpark Village. Coming up next, we'll cross things over with the Fastlane. With Alex Ferrario and Marty Jenkins, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is your opportunity to win a pair of tickets to Point Fest. We're giving away a pair of tickets to Point Fest every day this week. And today, if you are the sixth texter at 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text. If you've been listening all day long, you've got a chance to win here. Alex gave out the top 10 things that people do with PDA out in public. If you can tell us what the number one thing was on this on that list that annoys people when it comes to PDA public show of affection, <laughs> if you can give us the number one thing that people do that annoys you, and you text it in your texter number six at six five seven eight zero, you win a pair of tickets to Point Fest. You can get tickets right now over at one hundred one ESPN.com. Point Fest is coming up on September nineteenth. You can get tickets for nineteen ninety five. This first text I can't say BK, but it's not correct. It's not correct. It's a little too aggressive. You had six things? Ten. Ten, ten things. Oh, we need the sixth. Or sixth uh, texter. No, six texter. Oh, there's ten thing. things that annoy people? Yeah. Now yeah. i got to pull up the list again. Sorry. Hold on. Let me pull it up. Was the te- I, I saw the text that you were referring to. Was that on the list at <laughs> no, all? Or was it just no, not? No, no, <laughs> that, I, no, that was nowhere near. Although, I will say. That would be number one. That would have been number one yep. if it was a part of yeah, the if list. Only, if only our listeners could see the text line because we can't say that on the air. Number one, we Can can't confirm. say BT, but number two was talking to each other in a baby voice. That happens. People do that. Yeah. Does that, does that bother and you? That would, would that bother me. you? That would bother me. That would bother the hell out of me. There's most of them that were on the list yeah, wouldn't really bother me. Putting your arm or uh, arm or hand on their shoulder that doesn't bother you. Oh, Holding hands, one person sitting on each other's lap that might get a little weird. That's just love. Touching their butt, hey man, yeah. to each his own. Fair Using pet names time. for other people, sure she does. Like honey or pookie, okay, that's a little uncomfortable. That, that one, I feel like that goes with the baby talk though. The person that the calls pookie. you pookie. Pushy, pushy. I, what did you say? It's going, it's going <laughs> <on Pookie. laughs> I think you hey, need yeah. to be careful. <laughs> so, uh, someone, someone texted in and just said banging question mark. No, that's not on this list. I don't um, think that. I mean, that would be an annoying public display of affection. I feel like I feel pretty confident the person that calls you Pookie is also the person that call it, that talks to you in baby voice. Yeah, I think those are one hey, and the same. What does this text mean? What is even more annoying is when you rip off the Riz Show's Monday broadcast. Did, I have no idea. Apparently, people this? think that 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 news articles that the Riz Show does do is this? not a lot. I don't know. Did they? I have no idea. It, it, apparently, they think that news stories from other shows are not allowed to be used on other people's shows. I'm just wondering if you're. 
you, if you're trying something new, Alex, and you're listening to the morning show, and then you're like, bring it to the get a party share. They get a party share. Don't you think I would have used that on Monday if that's the case? I'm not going to wait till Wednesday or what's today, Thursday? BT. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. Yeah. Yeah. Shifting gears. Shifting. Actually, we got a text. I said shifting gears. I don't even know what that is. Well, no, that wasn't on the list either. But could try that in public. Can you? Just frowned upon. Yeah, Probably not. In a car, maybe. Nobody can see. Yeah. So we had Buster Olney on That's earlier today. Matter, yeah, go ahead. And we asked him, hey, do you think it's possible that the Cardinals could trade for both? We're, we're really trying to fix the Cardinals here. They could trade for both Kyle Gibson now and Max Scherzer at the deadline. Okay. He said he thinks it's at least in play. It, it wouldn't be such an exorbitant cost for Kyle Gibson that it would prevent you from being able to go out there and get Max Scherzer. Do you think the Cardinals should go ahead and do that? Well, yeah, of course, I, I would love that. Like, this is a conversation we had with Anthony. We did four hours of a show, and Anthony built a really good ball club yesterday. I heard they did got he Trevor Story. Story. Yeah, he got Trevor Story. He got Starling Marte. Wow. He, got, he picked up uh, Kyle Gibson, and he did pick up Max Scherzer as well. A couple uh, of uh, Mizzou guys, a couple of Tigers, uh, a strake of Tigers. So we get John Gray too. If, like, if let's go ahead and keep going. I don't know if we, we went that far, but it was okay. a really good team. What didn't happen was, and I tried to pry it out of him, but he said I was forcing him. Was like what the back end of any of those. Deals look like like oh, what like did what you do sending? to my future <laughs> uh that that i would like to know a little bit but yeah dude uh, kyle gibson first of all he's a great fit as you know mizzou guy he's got a house uh, in the area like like he would be great here would love he's to have been him. awesome he's got, this year yeah he, he came came into yesterday's game and i think he gave up a couple of home runs but still had a good good ball yep. game he had a 0.57 era at home like like he is he has been a guy just a really good pitcher uh and i don't i don't say this uh like saying their their careers are the same or are going to be the same. But when I watch him pitch, he reminds me a lot of Adam Wainwright. Like he his pitch ability he doesn't overpower you. He sinks it, he cuts it, he does a lot of stuff like that. Would love to see Scherzer as well. But I agree on the premise that if you want an opportunity to go get Scherzer, you probably have to do something beforehand. Yeah. Because in a month, because the, the Nationals are going to wait and find out how many people are in, because they've they've been adamant that they don't want to trade him. Like like they're not looking to trade him. But you can force the hand. Enough suitors end up coming in. You got to make sure that in a month, when they are really listening, that you're still a suitor. And when you look at the Cardinals' rotation right now as it stands, I'm not sure you're going to be in that spot where you're that Scherzer piece away. So I love the idea. I think it makes a ton of sense. He's my favorite candidate. I mean, we've gone through He's your favorite as player. you guys have. Yeah, honestly, I put him into the Hall of Fame today. So called him might Gibby. As well. um, it, his nickname is Gibby. You know. Yeah, you know what? I, I was uh, I was having an internal conversation, you know, with myself Do that uh, a lot. earlier today about this. Like, I was reading about Gibby and looking at his no, – no, okay, Kyle. No, you did Kyle. it. No, okay. so, well, because I played with Kyle it, uh, with the Twins organization. Oh, really? So, yeah, so I know him from there. I was looking at his numbers, like, oh, is, is the fit right? I'm like – I bet Cardinal fans would get all pissy if you called him Gibby. I did. Like, I bet they the would. The answer is yes. Yeah, they did. Did, really? Yeah. Did. Yeah. Do you think, uh, and, uh, you know, God rest his soul, like if Gibby were still alive and he heard somebody say Gibby on the broadcast, do you think that Bob Gibson for a second would think to himself, ah, they're forgetting who I am? Oh, no. no. no, no, no. They got us confused. <laughs> yeah. They're going to forget is no that I was confusion. Gibby. Guy's name's Gibson. They gets called Gibby. He had it just more happens. complete games in his career than he had wins, and he was a pretty damn effective winner. <laughs> Big time winner. Either way, I hope it's a conversation we have to have if Same. Kyle Gibson is a Cardinal. BT, what's coming up today on the Fast Lane? Man, we're gonna break it all down. We're gonna tell you about uh, how, how how we know certain things are real, kind of like Tyler O'Neill. Jamie's gonna break down why jo Jordan Cairo 
is uh, is a real thing. We're going to make some more trades, and hopefully Anthony pays off the back end of his. Looking forward to that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11. If you missed anything from today's show, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app, all presented by, I promise, here on 101 ESPN. He, he and- Hi. Close your eyes. It's time to discover what starting and growing your own business feels like. Whether your business is bed sheets or skincare or jewelry, Shopify's with you every step of the way. Hello. Now, open your eyes. Feel ready to start and grow your business with Shopify. You'll get the tools you need to nurture your growing business and feel the same satisfaction as listening to this ad. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Simply start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com free 22. Shopify.com free 22.